when I look at someone's body with my eyes, I can see where the breath is going. It's not even deep. We're talking about much more than just deep. Is it going into your shoulder? Is it going into your fingertips? Is it sometimes the breath goes deep, but it doesn't go somewhere else. Like it can, believe it or not, there's a way for your breath to go to your belly and completely bypass your chest. Now, you people are thinking, no, it can't because your breath goes into your lungs, right? But we're talking about the flow of it, that the body will apportion breath to certain areas and not to others. The same way that when we eat food, right? We would love to say, I would love these calories to go to my, my chest and not to my hips. Like we would love to say that you don't get to do that. The body decides which parts of you need more calories, need more energy. The same thing goes with breath. The body decides which parts of you need more oxygen, needs more breath, and which parts don't get any, which parts are more shut down. This is Hope to Recharge. I'm Atana. I'm here to guide you and support you through your challenging times, navigating through depression, anxiety, and other mental health struggles. This episode is sponsored by our incredible sponsor from the beginning, BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. Many people come to me for help. And one of my questions are, have you been to therapy? Are you willing to go to therapy? I am not a therapist. I don't claim to be a therapist and I don't do the therapist work. And I think it's something that has to be done with a therapist side by side. Some people have been to therapy for many years and then they come to me to do the work. I often say if you haven't been to therapy and if you want to start working with me, you need to start working with a therapist as well. Very often, it is very expensive. BetterHelp is a leading online platform for therapy that is affordable. You don't have to leave your house. You can get it from the comfort of your sofa, your bed, your office. It's one click away. There are thousands of licensed clinicians on this platform. It's incredible. If you want to get 10% off your first month, use the link in the show notes, betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Use the link below and start your therapy from the comfort of your home. Sometimes it's so overwhelming to go to therapy. Nowadays, most therapists are on Zoom. Most clinicians are on Zoom. Let's say you travel a lot. Let's say you just don't like getting out of your house, but you want a therapist. It's so affordable. It's worth taking a look. If you're thinking about therapy and you don't know where to start, go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Millions of people from all over the world are using them. Start your wellness now. Welcome back, everyone, to Hope to Recharge podcast. Today, I have an exciting guest, returning guest, Folly Klein, a good friend of mine. I call her my mentor. She teaches me a lot about different modalities of healing. Many of you know her because she's been on our podcast a few times before. If you haven't listened to her previous recordings, I highly recommend going into our show notes. The links will be there for our previous interviews with Folly. Today, we are going to be deep diving into the topic of breath work. What is breath work? What is this buzzword. Why are people so excited about it now? Can we do breathwork on our own? Is every breathwork facilitator worth going to? How does it help us in different healing modalities? The reason why I love Folly is because she gets it. She gets it that healing doesn't happen in one step with one modality. We have to do a bunch of different things to our body and soul for them to connect. Different kind of healing experiences. Now, breathwork apparently, I'm going to understand now, is the foundation of many other modalities. And when we understand the power of our breath, we can make it work for us in 
other kinds of healing modalities. Now, I call Folly my breathwork guru. Whenever I have a question about it, I call her. I haven't yet tried breathwork workshop for myself. I pride myself that I use my breath all the time for my calmness, for my ease, for finding center when I'm anxious, when I'm overwhelmed. Breath is my favorite thing. I became more in tune with my breath than anything else once I started my healing journey 13 years ago. Apparently, that's not all that is to breath work. There's a lot more and we're going to understand it today. I'm very excited about this conversation. It is long. It is about two hours. It's worth every moment. There is not one word. You know how they say in the in the Bible, there's not an extra word that we don't need. Same thing was with folly. Folly is this dynamic, interesting human that every word is precious by her. And she also has like this, these ideas about words. But today we're going to speak about the idea behind our breath. I highly recommend you put aside time for this episode because it will transform your life and it will transform your relationship with your breath. And maybe you'll even consider going to a breath workshop, breath work workshop. Is it breath work workshops or is it breath workshop? As I said, I haven't done it yet, but I think I am going to try one out. Enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Folly. I'm so excited to be here and yeah, to talk about some of my favorite topics with one of my favorite people. I mean, what is this, my fourth time back here? I don't know, but we're going to put in the show notes the different the different episodes, because usually I do homework about what number episodes you have been before that we can redirect traffic with people are going to want to know. Once they hear this, they're going to say, what else did she talk about? So we're going to put it in the show notes. I know that we spoke about self-love. We spoke about hypnotherapy. And we spoke about, I think, we did a one with Miri. Miri, yeah, a two-part. Right, right. So the reason why I'm so curious about breath work is because I I don't know much about it. I know about breath. I know that it's one of my favorite tools to use. And I talk about it a lot, that people run to healers, people run to medica- medication, doctors. And when people ask me about my journey of healing, I say, I go back to my breath. And I know it sounds cliche and whatever, but the breath, if we want to do a reset to our nervous system, whatever is happening through life, whatever it is, if it's a shock, if it's depression, if it's if it's trauma, if it's if it's just general anxiety, the breath is what I reset myself with. I and it's multiple times a day. And I didn't know the power of breath until I started yoga when I was deeply depressed and I was on the yoga mat every single day. And I realized that the yoga was nothing about the poses. It was all about the breath. And so often I find myself saying, okay, I just need a few, it could be 90 seconds. I need to breathe. I just need to breathe. And we say, I can't breathe or, oh my gosh, I I lost my breath, but it's true. And when we're mindful about it, we really realize how our body really reacts to it. But I think the breathing that I'm talking about is very different to breath work. And I wanted to understand what is breath work? Who invented this modality of healing breath work? How to use use it in your private life and in your um, professional life and your journey with breath work? And what can people learn about it? So it's a lot. So let's let's get started with your journey with breath work. 
All right. So to answer your first question that you've asked a couple of times, what is breath work? Like, let's demystify this. So there is this great mystery around the word because it's a key word right now. Everyone's talking about it. It sounds like the next big thing, but also everyone's saying something just a little different. And people will always email me, what's the difference between this kind of breath work and that kind of breath work? Everyone's putting their brand name on this title or this term, and nobody's getting a really clear idea or picture of what this is. So the way I like to demystify this is, Breathwork is just another term for the word diet. Everybody knows what the word diet means, but everybody has a little bit of a different relationship with the word diet, right? But if you look up the word diet in the dictionary, all it is, is your relationship to food. Most people think that a diet is some form of restrictive way of eating, like counting calories or intermittent fasting. But really, the word diet means what is the relationship you have with the life-giving attributes of nutrition, of food. Breathwork is the same thing. Breathwork is the relationship that you have with breath. And a relationship is something that is conscious, right? You can have an unconscious relationship. That's usually a toxic or a dysfunctional relationship. When a relationship is unconscious, it has nowhere to go but down, right? Marriages need constant work. Friendships need constant work because a marriage that isn't constantly recommitted to isn't a marriage. It just becomes a partnership, which maybe then becomes a friendship, which maybe then becomes roommates, which maybe then becomes, I don't know if we're still compatible, right? So when we say diet, it isn't about starving yourself. It isn't about counting calories. It isn't even about losing weight. It's about becoming conscious of what you put into your mouth. And why would you become conscious about what you put into your mouth? Because you want the health benefits, whether it's for you losing the weight because you're not at a great place with in terms of obesity, right? Or maybe that's because of your heart health or nutrition, whatever it is. You want to become conscious because you want to become healthy. And the same thing goes with breath work. Breath is our ultimate source of life force energy, right? There, food is life force energy, but you have to constantly keep eating food right? You take in some food, you get calories for the day, you take in some more food, you do it again tomorrow. And we all understand this. Breath is an even more primal force of life force energy because you can go for a few hours without food. You can go for a few hours without water. You can even go for a few days without food. You cannot go for more than a few seconds without breath. So breath is life force and breath work is the art of becoming conscious to the way you interact with your life force energy. That's it. Every breathwork facilitator, however, is going to have something new to teach you about that. In the same way that the Atkins diet is not the same as the South Beach diet, is not the same as intermittent fasting. And we can argue about the benefits or the cons of each one, right? But each one exists for different clientele, for different people, and they accomplish different things in the body. So you can say, I would like to lose weight, but each one of us loses weight in a different way. So not every diet that promises weight loss is going to be good for everybody who's wanting to lose weight. And the same thing goes for breathwork. Every breathwork facilitator has something to offer to this conversation, but something different. That's all this is. That's what breathwork is. Okay. So I remember, I remember when I met you, how many years ago was it? We met in 2018. Was it December of 2018 or 17? No, 2018. Yeah. Five years ago, six years ago, yeah, five, yeah. six years ago. Okay. I remember you saying breath work. I remember, I won't forget you saying this breath work is not just breathing. It's a process. I remember you. And I'm like, I don't, I like, 
isn't it about like how you breathe in, hold, breathe out, awareness, mindfulness? And you're like, no, you have to go through. A, I remember you saying to me, you need to go to a, a, a workshop of breath work to understand. So tell me a, a little bit more about that. It's not just the breathing. What goes on when we start being more mindful with our breath? Tell me a little bit more about what you teach at your breath work workshops or what you teach facilitators that they think that, okay, I just need to be more mindful about my breath. Yeah, it's kind of the same way when you would say marriage is not just about the ceremony. Marriage is what happens 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, when you wake up the morning after you had a massive fight, right? Marriage is not the white dress. It's so much more. It's what you do every moment of every day that you're choosing to live together. And that's the process of breath work. Most people, they say, well, what are you, when I started doing this, this was back, I started breath work at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018 is when I started really immersing myself in it. Despite every resistance, I did not want to do this. This was not my calling. I mean, it was my calling. I just didn't want it to be my calling. I didn't think it was my calling. You don't want to align with your calling because you didn't want to right. accept it. <laughs> I did not because breathwork forces you to be embodied. And I am or was one of the least embodied people that I know. What does that mean? I don't like living in my body. My body has never felt like a lovely place to be. I've been sick in my youth. I've been sick on and off over the years, you know, a little bit of my, my journey. I had cancer at 16. I had cancer again a year ago. I've had complications and it just didn't feel like this is where I'm also an air sign. You know, I'm a Gemini. I have everything in my ear. I love living in my head. I'm an intellectual. I'm a fantasy reader. I love science fiction. I'm, I'm a dreamer. The idea of having to live here on this earth, eating three meals a day, making my bed, today when I know I'm just going to mess it up at night, mm. you know, that the, the mundane of living here in this moment was used to plague me and breath work forces you to be here because there's nowhere else to be. When you breathe, you have to be right here in your body in this moment. So I resisted this for years before I finally, before something inside me clicked and I knew that there was no more running from from myself. I needed to be here. But that's the relationship that I keep talking about. It's not this thing. When I started doing breath work way back when, people were like, "Wait, what? What do you what do you do? You're going to teach me how to breathe?" And I would tell people, "No, that's not what I do. I don't need to teach you how to breathe. If you're here and you're not dead, I'm pretty sure you're doing good. I'm pretty sure you're breathing. I'm going to teach you something more than just how to breathe." I'm going to teach you how to make breath your best friend. And you asked me before, where did this all begin? Who started this? Everyone's going to give you a different answer. There are some modern fathers of breath work, right? So you have Leonard Orr, you have Stanislav Grof, you have Wim Hof is really popular right now. Dan Brule has been doing this for 40 years. Judith Kravitz. There are so many good names out there. But then again, I'm an Orthodox Jew and I was raised in the Hasidic tradition Hasidic teachers have been talking about breath for at least 350 years because that's how old the Hasidic tradition is, right? Thousands of years ago, you had Kabbalistic traditions and the Hasidic tradition is derived from the Kabbalistic origins. The Kabbalists were always talking about breath. Who created breath work? Well, who created breath? It's God himself. 
I mean, if the if the story is to be believed, the first breath came into being, as the Bible says, when God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. So man's inhale is an exhale of the divine. Right. That's the father of breath. Kol neshama, o neshama, kol neshima, o neshima. That's what I remember growing up saying that when we say kol neshama, o neshama, kol, uh, that it's really our neshama is from our neshima. Yeah. And, you know, every morning, I don't know how much Hebrew we're allowed to put on the podcast because I don't know how many listeners where we're from. But every morning as a Jew, the first thing that we say when we wake up in the morning is the, the Moda'ani prayer. And it's a prayer of gratitude. And within the prayer, we say, Moda'ani lefanecha, right? Shehechazarta bi nishmasi, that you have returned to me my soul. And I always wondered about that. Because what do you mean you returned my soul to me? My soul has always been here. My soul is here when I'm sleeping. It's my body that's sleeping. But my soul, it's just the opposite. The soul doesn't go anywhere, right? So if anything, it should be that the body gets returned every morning, that you allowed for my body to wake. So why don't we say that? Why do we say I am thanking you for the return of my soul? Mm. And only recently, like a couple of months ago, something dawned on me. The words for soul and breath are very similar in Hebrew. They have the same letters, right? Neshama is soul. Neshima is breath. And I recognized that shehechazarta, the idea of return, the soul doesn't return, but it is the return of the breath. The breath is always returning. And I realized the prayer we say every morning, the prayer of gratitude, is the prayer of the return of the breath. Not that God took my breath away when I was sleeping, but he constantly creates that like that wind turbine. It's always moving. There is this constant return of air. And that even when I'm sleeping, even when I am right. not conscious, there's this return. There's this give and take. There's right. this come and go, this ebb and flow, and it's always happening. And I'm like, that's what we're grateful for. Yeah. We're grateful for the return, the constant movement. The constant. Because life is movement. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about when it comes to breathwork is that breathwork reintroduces movement. So many people come to therapy or come to some form of healing because they feel like they lack movement. They feel like they're stuck. They feel like they're in pain. They feel like they're sitting in their problems for too long and they can't get beyond that. And I dealt with that for so many years because in my work as a hypnotherapist, I no longer see private clients, but I was in private practice for quite a few years. And what I realized was, and I have a few different specialties, right? I started out with hypnotherapy and I also went to school to become an intimacy and relationship counselor because I realized that a lot of these things kind of flow together. And also I love learning. I'm always in school. I'm always expanding my reach for myself, not for anyone else, just because my brain just needs that constantly. What I realized are, in years of seeing clients is that essentially there are five life forces, five ways that we can capture the idea of life force. And they are food, which I just discussed a minute ago, right? You, you constantly need food. The body has a way of turning food into life force energy, into calories that give you energy, right? Sexuality is life force. And it, we're not just talking about the act of intimacy. We're, sexuality is how life flows through you. It's your aliveness. It's your passion. It's your desire. And yes, the act of intimacy creates more life, right? So sexuality is life force. Money is a form of life force. It's really a placeholder for life force energy. 
which means if I gave you an hour of my time, you need to find a way to repay that. So either you're going to trade off with me, or if you have nothing to give me, you're going to give me a placeholder that I can then use to purchase something that benefits my life. So money is a placeholder for life force energy. God, and I don't mean the big man in the sky with a trident and a beard. We're talking about spirit. Energy. Yeah. Energy. Yeah. The universal consciousness, the, the spirit. Spirit is life force and breath is life force. And that's very obvious. And what I realized is that your relationship to one is your relationship to all. And hear me out for a second, because most people are like, what did she just say? It's so true. <laughs> Think about your, right? So, so some people true. are like, it's not true. I binge food. I binge food, but I don't spend any money. And I'm like, yeah, but think about why, because your belief about them are the same. If you believe that there is never enough, then you're going to binge food. They're both unhealthy relationships. It doesn't matter how it's manifesting. One, it's with overindulgence and one is lack of. They're both unhealthy. They're both not in flow. But the belief is the same. Right. Whatever it is, it's broken. It's manifesting in an unhealthy way in different ways. But you're right. It's, but they're it's, broken in the same way. So the manifestation 100%. could be different, but the point of breakage is the same. And what I realized was that when I was, go I went to school for intimacy counseling, right? So people would often come to me, clients, and just for the people who are asking, no, I don't see private clients anymore, but I've taken everything that I've learned and I now give a course on intimacy. This is my, my gift to the world that I want to share that. But yes, people would come and they would have a very hard time talking about the bedroom because it's hard when it's, it's one of those topics that are taboo, they're a little bit shameful, right? And you would watch them struggle and they really were in a lot of pain. They wanted to get past it, but they couldn't because they couldn't talk about it or take it out of the bedroom for a second. Take someone who had an eating disorder and maybe there was less shame about it, but there was so much frustration because they've been dealing with that for decades. And it's just tiring to say the same story again and again. And there's almost this hopelessness of you're the, you're the 10th practitioner I've seen. You're gonna get me free of this. And what I realized was, so say someone would come to me about the bedroom and I would say, you know what, why don't you not, every time you wanted to say bedroom, say bank, just, just don't say bedroom, say bank, right? And they would start telling me the story. Okay, so every time I go to the bank, right, for some reason, there's always money for my husband. Like anything he wants to spend on, he gets, but for me, there's never, like I think twice, and then, and she's telling me this story about the bank, which is really the bedroom. And five minutes into her story, she's like, that's actually my financial story as well. Wow. And so I started noticing that all of these things are the same, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a trick that I used in the beginning because it was a great way to get people to not have to talk about what they, you know, what they were having a hard time talking about and kind of find a different way in. But over time, I realized this isn't just a different way in. It's literally the same thing. Because if you work on one of the life forces, you are going to cover them all. And so my goal became... These life forces are often very charged. It's hard for people to talk about their relationship with food, especially if they're struggling. It's really hard to talk about money. Money is a big problem for many of us. It's even harder to talk about sex. Nobody feels comfortable. Like everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody has something to say about it, but it's one of the most awkward and shameful conversations. A lot of people are hung up about God, about spirit, right? The one conversation that nobody knows how to have and nobody cares to have is breath. And I realized breath is the ultimate backdoor. Nobody has a real, nobody knows anything. It's like, if I can help people focus on breath, which is the one that they have no conscious mind around, they have no story built up around breath. 
no shame, no, no fears, shame. no real, no, no awareness, really no awareness, no relationship. Exactly. And that was like the uncharted territory that I thought if we can navigate this, we can cover all five life forces in mm -hmm. one breath without having to deal with, you know, because if, if we started talking about the bedroom, if we talk, talk about sexuality, people are like, yeah, but you don't understand. And they start telling me stories and they start telling me about their marriage and they start telling me about the fight that they had. And I'm like, mm. with breath work, that doesn't happen. You can't tell me a story about breath. There is no story. There is just the flow. There is just the movement. And that's the movement that we praise God for every morning when we wake up. Thank you for this continuous movement of breath. And so I find that when people come to breath work, whether they know it or not, we would hope the facilitator knows it. We, not every facilitator knows this. I'm telling you, this is my journey to breath work. And this is my journey within breath work. What we're looking to do is introduce movement in places where there was not movement before. And if we can do that on a physiological level, everything changes. Explain that a little. What does that mean? So it means many different things. Let's start on the basic primal physical level. Every cell in your body requires oxygen in order to live and in order to thrive. Every single one. Oh no, wait, I'm wrong. There is one cell in your body that does not require oxygen. In fact, when it's exposed to oxygen, it dies. Those are cancer cells. Cancer cells are anaerobic. That means that they grow without oxygen. If you introduce cancer cells to oxygen, they will die. In fact, in Europe, they've done a lot of beautiful studies with this, taking cancer patients and also not just cancer patients, people with athletic injuries, right? And they put them yeah. in hyperbaric chambers, yeah. which are chambers infused with higher levels of oxygen than we're used to breathing. And their recovery rates are much faster for just injuries and for cancer, it's also, they're watching cancer cells diminish very quickly in the presence of oxygen. Why is this not brought into the States yet? Well, money, right? Air is free, breathing is free, chemotherapy is not. So they're always, you gotta always follow the money. When people are like, oh, Fali, you're just being super holistic. And I'm like, yeah, but also, <laughs> you know, look at the science, look at the science and follow the money. These are always things to consider. That doesn't mean, and I'm a, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. I'm still a fan of Western medicine. Chemo saved my life. This is not me saying, oh, you know, I was diagnosed with cancer. I'm going to breathe my way back into well, right. wellness, right? I think you need both. But going back to this idea. So what are you saying? It's I am saying that there's a lot of untapped potential here. That things that we have not begun to look at. And I think that when you understand that every cell in your body needs oxygen in order to thrive, so that means that if you just become more conscious of your oxygen intake, intake, inhale, intake, everything is going to happen for you. Do you know that it takes more oxygen to burn fat than to store fat? If you don't have enough oxygen, your body has to ration it. So the last thing it's going to do is burn fat for you. It's going to mm -hmm. store it because it's energy conserving. That's why aerobic exercises, aerobic means breathing. The exercises that force you to breathe, they burn fat anaerobic exercise, like doing planks. You don't breathe when you're doing planks, right? You're just saying, they, they build muscle. It's two different kinds of exercises. You want to lose the weight, you got to get your, your heart rate up. You got to be breathing. It's the breathing that helps you burn the fat. I mean, of course, there's more to it. We're, we're expending energy, we're burning calories, but it's, it's breath. You can lose weight just by becoming conscious of your breath. 
when I go to breathwork trainings, everybody loses weight that week, except for me. I gain weight. Everybody else loses weight. Why? Because you're so focused on breathing. You're getting such a nice influx of oxygen. Your body actually starts metabolizing faster. For me, people here are not seeing me on camera. I'm like a hundred pounds. I have the opposite issue. I have a hard time gaining weight. When I breathe well, I get hungry. I feel hungry. I don't experience hunger otherwise. I feel hungry. I actually nourish myself and I finally gain a little bit of weight, which is fantastic for me. So every cell in your body does better physically. You know this more than anybody else. When you're not sleeping, when you're not taking care of yourself physically, your mental health is tanked. You're not okay. I have a baby. He's about to turn two, which means I haven't slept in three years. Between two years of infancy and a pregnancy, I have not had a full night of sleep in three years. My mental health is in the toilet, right? Mm -hmm. And I can laugh about it because I know it's a passing stage, mm -hmm. but it's a misery. It's a blessing, yeah. but it's yeah. also a misery. Yeah. If you take care of your physical health, your mental health is going to be great. Okay. So oxygen is one of the primary things that your physical body needs in order to be healthy. Breathwork is that if your people are willing to spend thousands of dollars and thousands of hours on their food intake, on hiring nutritionists, on meal plans, on weighing their food on, I mean, but nobody will give themselves the grace of taking 10 deep breaths three times a day. It's so hard for people to do that. It's crazy. You're going to spend more time than that preparing lunch. Hmm. Just take 10, go into, you know what? Just do it simply. Go into the toilet without your telephone. Do not answer text messages on the toilet. Spend your time on the toilet, just taking a couple of deep breaths. People have such a high resistance to that because people don't want to be in their body, which goes to the is next Is that what thing. it is? Yeah. And you I'll tell you so? more about that. Yeah. I'll tell you more about that. Because when I said I had a resistance to being in my body earlier, and you asked me about that, and I said, because I had been sick. Because I'm thinking like, oh my God, I love being in the in the mindfulness in the now. Like I love, as much as I'm a dreamer, I was listening to you and I'm like, really? People don't like being in the breath? Like for me, a breath is candy. It's lollipop. It's, it's cotton candy. Just give me breath. Just give me breath. You realize that you're an anomaly. You are not the norm in this fast-paced world. Most people have no idea. You've you've also I had such. I crave it. I crave it. My kids make fun of me that I, I'm just like, give me 20 minutes to breathe. Give me. I'm going outside. Don't bother me. I'm gonna breathe. They, on Shabbos, we had a. I'm, I interrupted you, but I have to say this is like I guess I got so used to it that it became my craving, and I didn't know about it before. And we had somebody over for Shabbos, and he was telling us that he craves adrenaline rushes like motorcycles bungee jumping skydiving and i'm like why would i pay to be in agony if i worked so hard to leave that fear of death like why would i need i said joy is right here right now like just just here right now with my breath is the ultimate joy why leave because what you said is really important He's chasing happiness and you're chasing joy. They are two different things. Right, right. Happiness is fleeting. It's the peak you of think, the mountain. I don't even think it's happiness. I think it's just an adrenaline. It's a, it's a fix. It's not, it's not happiness and it's not joy. Yeah. It both it's not. Yeah. Happiness is, is up and down. Joy is long lasting. It's deeper, but I don't even think these are happiness. These are just like, it's a fix, right? They're adrenaline peaks. 
Yeah. And yes, you're going to feel happy on an adrenaline peak. I feel happy on caffeine. That doesn't mean it's actually good for my body or my brain. But going back to what you said about joy, joy is deeper, which means that when people are, people are very busy with high vibration, and there's a mistake around that because there are no vibrations that are bad. When you have a color spectrum, purple or indigo is a high vibration. Red on the spectrum is considered a lower vibration, but there's nothing wrong with red. Sometimes red is really makes me happy, right? You're wearing red today and it's such a beautiful, rich color on you. I'm wearing a little bit of red today and it's bringing out a little bit of my color. So there's nothing wrong with different vibrations, but people are very attached to peak vibrations. Joy is a baseline. And in order to be in a baseline, you have to be comfortable with all. So joy, there's a deep joy in grief sometimes when you can allow your body to grieve and to be with that experience of what it needs. There is a joy in that. There's a reason why we feel really good after we've had a cleansing cry. And that's what breathwork is aimed to give you. The goal of breath is to help you be in the body. Now, if you've been in pain, the first thing that we do when we're in pain is we stop breathing. We tense, right? So yes, you're still breathing, but you're breathing differently. Wait, why don't we do that, by the way? Because we, we stub our toe off. or before or somebody pitches us for a shot. We like, why do we do that? Because we're cutting ourselves off from having to feel the feel. intensity. Yes. Because breath makes you feel. Yes. And you know the term, you have to feel it to heal it. Right. So if you don't feel it, if you cut off that feeling, you're going to feel better temporarily. Problem is the actual process of the pain and pain is a process. It got interrupted mid flow. And if it got interrupted, it means it's still living inside of your body. There's a memory inside of your body. Now your body has lived through everything in your life. Your brain has not. You know how I know? Because I don't remember my years in school. I don't remember. I daydream through half my formative years. Hmm. My body, though, had to sit in that seat. Your body remembers. My body sat through, yeah, my body sat through 10th grade. My brain did not, mm. right? Mm. So when we go around life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something, okay? We've been talking now for quite some time, so you know what my voice sounds like. What if I did this? What if I changed my voice to talk up here, right? How do you feel about this? Now, this is a very normal tone of voice. Lots of people talk like this, right? And I'm watching you nod. Your head is like a bobblehead. What's <laughs> happening for you as you're listening to me talk like this? How do you feel listening to my voice up here? I feel like you're very excited or something, passionate about something, and I'm curious what's going on. Mm -hmm. And also, if you walk in the street, lots of people talk like this. This is a very normal tone of voice. We don't even think it's strange, but it's completely strange for me. It's not my tone of voice. And when I alternate... If I do this again, you're going to feel anxious. You're just going to feel anxious because you know you can hear from my tone of voice that my oxygen, my breath flow is not going deeper than my neck. You can hear it. Maybe you weren't aware of it before, but when I show you these two voices side by side, mm. you can see it immediately. We live in a world where this conversation, this voice is normal. Most people speak up here and we don't think twice about that. Is it because of the breath? Absolutely. Oh my God. Absolutely. We are not breathing. And so most people will tell you, my breath is just fine. Yes, you've become accustomed to a breath that doesn't go deeper than your neck, your shoulder. You've become accustomed to a breath that doesn't know how to reach your right hip. 
right? You've become accustomed to a breath that pauses or forgets to inhale or forgets to exhale, right? When you're afraid, what you do is this. And then where's the exhale, right? And then it's when that scary, that scary part passes on the movie. You're like, ah. And you let out a breath you didn't know that you were holding. But why? But why do we, why does our body know to do that without no, anybody teaching them? Like no one knows. Because the breath is a brilliant system. And the breath does, you know, animals in the wild, they're brilliant. Your, your breath is going to give you, because breath is life force, same like food. You know that if you're having a long day, you have to be very careful about the food that you take. You want a lot of slow release proteins right? So that you're not crashing midway through the day. You're not, you don't want to stuff up on carbs that give you quick fixes of energy and then crash. So you know that the intake of food is going to directly affect your functioning throughout the day. So will breath. Sometimes it's conducive. It's good for you to have a little bit of a faster breath, like, right? Sometimes it's good for you. It it builds your adrenaline. It gets you going a little faster. It pumps, floods you full of Wim Hof. The Wim yeah. method of teaching your brain that it will survive through anxious anxiety and fear. Exactly. But people love Wim Hof. And for me, it's like, wait, what Wim Hof is teaching you is just to be, to recover, to recover from fear, to recover yeah, from anxiety. To reco- no, to teach your brain that it can be through anxiety, go survive anxiety. It's, it recognizes it. And then when anxiety comes in real life and automatically you're doing <laughs> or yes. that, whatever that fear, exactly. that turbulence, you're like, oh, my nervous system can balance fast. Exactly. But Wim Hof is not a way of life. You don't want to breathe that way all day, every day, because you're going to give yourself a panic attack if you breathe that way when you're in the grocery store. Right? You don't, no, for sure. So right. There right. are many different kinds of breath and your body, if you watch a baby, babies are amazing because a healthy baby that was born in a healthy way right? In a healthy environment. You watch them breathe. You ever had this experience? So you look at a little... It's so calm. It's not just it's calm. It's peace. It's like... It's adorable. Yeah. And every now and then they do... <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. And what is that? What... Every, you, you bend over is their... Is it a cart. correction? What is that? That they do that? <laughs> it's what their body needs. That's so the beauty of this. No two breaths are quite the same. Mm. You're body will always give you exactly what it needs in this moment. Mm. And every moment is different. Your sensory input is always different. So you need a different breath for every moment, depending on what's happening in front of you. But you ever saw a little baby, you lean over their crib, it's two o'clock in the morning, you're exhausted, you haven't slept in a long time. And you and your husband were like, What's the kid doing? Nothing. Breathing. The kid is just breathing. And you're like, look, I can see those cheeks and the belly. And you, 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 like, you, can, you just see the breath coming out of every pore. When was the last time you bent over your husband at four o'clock in the morning and was like, oh my God, he's so cute. He's breathing. Never. Nobody. Never. <laughs> because adults aren't cute when they're breathing. What is it about a baby's breath that makes you go crazy? When a baby is breathing, they are so connected to the fullness of their life force energy. You know that every cell in their being is alive. Most adults, when you watch them breathing, what you're seeing is where they're not actually breathing. You're seeing all that. You're not recognizing that you're seeing that, but I'm telling you why it's happening. Because as a breathwork facilitator, I'll talk about more about what I see. You're noticing the dead spots. That's not attractive. That's not cute. Okay. Mm. But then Every so often, you're going to meet that person that's just radiant, and you don't really know why. And it could be a complete stranger, and you're like, I want to look at this person. 
I want to talk to this person. This person hasn't even opened their mouth yet and you just feel something there. There's a resonance. What is it? They're breathing differently. They're a little bit more alive and you can just tell and you're not sure why, but you can just tell the breath is coming in differently. So we all had this ability when we were kids, but then you live in a world where there's so much stimulus, all the, so many stimuli, my grammars, I don't know. Okay. I haven't slept in three years. Mm. There's so much coming at you all the time. Your breath is changing so rapidly that our breath patterns have become dysfunctional. Whereas a baby and you say every so often they do that breath, right? What was that? I don't know. There was something happening in the body. The breath adjusted, got what it needed, and then went back to baseline, which is this beautiful breath. As adults, we have forgotten what our baseline is. In fact, we have become to believe that our baseline is this, that this is the normal baseline, that this is what a voice should sound like. Okay, Folly, can I just tell you something? Mm -hmm. My kids know that something that irks me is high-pitched voice. It makes me crazy. Yeah. It just irritates me. Now I know why. It literally irritates me. I want to share something else with you. So as a breathwork facilitator, in years of doing this, there's a lot I can see from a person and see and hear. When I look at someone's body with my eyes, I can see where the breath is going. How I can deep, see where how it's, deep it's going. It's not even deep. We're talking about much more than just deep. Is it going into your shoulder? Is it going into your fingertips? Is it sometimes the breath goes deep, but it doesn't go somewhere else. Like it can, believe it or not, there's a way for your breath to go to your belly and completely bypass your chest. Now you people are thinking, no, it can't because your breath goes into your lungs, right? But we're talking about the flow of it, that the body will apportion breath to certain areas and not to others. The same way that when we eat food, right? We would love to say, I would love these calories to go to my, my chest and not to my hips. Like we would love to say that you don't get to do that. The body decides which parts of you need more calories, need more energy. The same thing goes with breath. The body decides which parts of you need more oxygen, needs more breath, and which parts don't get any, which parts are more shut down. So technically, objectively, yes, you're breathing in your lungs and those are your chest, but when the body takes them into the bloodstream and the body decides who or where gets more blood or oxygen, it's very possible that your stomach will be getting more than your chest, okay? And I know that's weird unless you see it in person, but I can see that on you. When I see that, I know things about you because the belly represents certain emotions. The belly represents certain beliefs. So does the chest. So does the neck, okay? So if I can see that the breath is not going into your, let's say, right shoulder, I know that you're having a problem accepting your past and forgiving, so when I'm going to do breath work on somebody and I'm going to, I'm going to put my hand very gently on the area that the breath is shut down. And then I might whisper in their mm. ear, it's time to forgive. They'll be like, Oh my God, wow. she's psychic. She's wow. psychic. How does she know? So it's, it's good for people to believe I'm psychic. It, it definitely works in my favor when people think I'm a witch, but wow. I don't need to look at your body. I don't need to. I mean, in years in the beginning, I would do this by sight. Now I don't do this by sight. It switched over to, to sound where I can hear, I don't have to hear your breathing. I can hear your voice. Your voice tells me where it's traveling in your body because your voice is an emanation of God, right? Because if your inhale is the exhale of the divine, so that means you took in divinity 
that divinity flowed through you. And now you exhale that and your voice is an exhale. There's a godliness, there's a spirit attached. And I can hear in the sound in, in, in a f- fancy language, we call it the prosody, P-R-O-S-O-D-Y, the prosody of your voice, where that ear has touched, where God, God's emanation has touched in your body and where it has not. And I can hear that in your voice. It is incredible what I can get mm-hmm. off someone's voice. I can very often hear health conditions. I can hear not just when they had trauma, but what their trauma was. I'm not magic and there's a margin of error, but it's freakishly amazing, right? And and pretty accurate, what we can tell from someone's voice. Voice is vibration and we are vibratory beings. We have hair on the outside of every cell. They're called cilia. So they don't look like the hair on your head, but they're like hair-like membranes and they vibrate. And that's how your cells communicate to one another through the vibrations of the cilia. So we're, we're basically glorified antennas, right? Mm. And we know this because we're using words like vibe. Vibe is vibration. We use words like resonance. So we're using these musical terms, these terms of language mm. that really are denoting something that we know or we don't necessarily know this consciously, but subconsciously we've always known. We are receptors. We mm. pick up on vibrations. So right. very often people say, oh, she's psychic. And I'm like, no, I'm just doing something that you haven't figured out how to do yet. I'm tapping into my body's natural ability to pick up on vibratory patterns. Your antennas are higher. You're more fine-tuned. And breath yeah. is a vibration, right? So we've been living in a world that cut us off from our breath. And one of the mm. hardest things, and that's why I said I had a hard time being embodied, was because if you want your breath to really be in your system, you have to be willing to go to all of those places that are stuck and you have to be willing to breathe through them. And you have to be willing to revisit the stories that tightened you to begin with. So when you're going to do breath work, you may experience some of that. And I'm going to go back to something and I'll come back to this. You know, I started by saying that the first prayer we say in the morning is the Moda'ani prayer. It's a prayer of gratitude, right? It's a prayer of gratitude for the breath, for the return. The last prayer we say in the evening is the Shema prayer. And my husband had this epiphany just this week, and he shared it with me because he knows how much I'm called to this work. He, he shared with me how fascinating it is that in the Shema prayer, it says, Vesamtam esadvarama ela, you should put these words, alavavchem, on your heart, vial nafshechem, and on your spirit, right? Whatever nafshechem means, on your spirit. And the rabbis or the Kabbalists, whoever whoever's dissecting these things, they tend to define nefesh, where the nefesh resides in the body. The spirit is the liver, okay? That's why your anger comes from your liver. Your, mm. your spirited energy comes from your liver. And he says, when God says you should put these words on your heart and on your liver, what does that mean? So we, we get very poetic about these things, like live as if these words, right, are, are coming from your heart. But then why the double language? Why say your heart and your liver? Why twice? And my husband says, I just thought of something. What if God is saying, right? Not a, what, what if it's not a command? What if he's saying that your measure of health will be if your words come from your heart or your liver and your liver lives right bef- below your diaphragm? So if you're breathing correctly and you're using diaphragmatic breathing, your voice will come from as low as your liver. 
Hmm. Most people, people who talk like this, you can tell very quickly that this voice has not even begun to reach my heart. It barely even gets to my neck, right? It's like the back of my throat. It's like a little bit nasal. Here, wow. here we're a little deeper, right? Here's a little bit of like a heart-based breath, but I'm not fully in it. Hmm. But when I can go here, and this is my diaphragmatic breath, you can hear that these words are coming from a very embodied place. And hmm. so think about this. If you're really breathing, if you're doing this well, and you're really in touch with your breath the way you should be, the way you were as a baby, right? Think about how babies cry. They cry from their bellies. They cry from their hearts and from their livers, right? They don't cry the way most people talk. They cry. There's like this deep bellied cry. So the measure of health would be when you go to bed at night, there are certain measures. When you say the Shema, God is saying, can you check in with yourself? Do you speak from your heart? Do you speak from your liver? Is your breath as deep as that? We also say, Va'ahafta, and you should love, as Hashem Elokecha, Bechal Levavcha. Now you're a natural native Hebrew speaker. You know that Levavcha is not a word. You should say Bechal Libech or Bechal Libcha, right? What's Levavcha? There's like a double, there's a base. double letter, right? There's a double base. Base, the letter base means within. Every in Hebrew to start to, to denote the idea of something being inside, we put the letter bays in the beginning of the word, like babayas means inside the house. God is saying that your heart has many chambers, right? So when God says love, love means be full, have a full heart. You can feel many things in your heart. You can feel happiness and sadness at the same time. God said that's a measure of health. And the ahafta love does not mean Hollywood love. It means commitment. There's a whole, we can talk about that another time, that love mm. means commitment. Right. God says you should commit to God with all of the chambers of your hearts, with all of the parts of you, the external self that you show the world, the internal self that you would never take out of hiding, all of those, and put these words, your words in your heart and in your belly. And if you do that, then when you wake up, the first words that will want to spill out of your mouth is ani. thank you, I'm so grateful. It's a measure of health, it's not a prayer. What if it wasn't a prayer? What if God put these prayers there? What if our rabbis put these prayers there to help us figure out if we're healthy? That if we're healthy, we wake up and the first thing we wanna say is gratitude and a commitment to the breath. Mm. If we're healthy, we make a commitment to doing that again in the evening. If we wake up and we're not feeling grateful, like this natural sweetness and joy of waking up, we have to start saying, hey, what's out of alignment? This is not force yourself to be grateful. God does not believe in fakers. God knows what you're feeling. You don't need to fake it, right? What if you could be like, hmm, I didn't wake up with gratitude. I wonder what may be out of alignment. And then you start checking your breath throughout the day and you see where your breath goes and you see where it doesn't go. And you see that when you're talking to a really good friend, like when you're sitting with Matana and you're having a great <laughs> interview, you're like, wow, my breath is really flowing, right? But when you're speaking to the con ed man who's coming to check your meter, you're like, yeah, right? And you realize that your breath is not going. And you're like, mm, maybe that's where, you know, what do I need to get into alignment mm. here? And these are, these are barometers for your health and your breath never lies, never lies. So going back to what people expect in sessions, there are many kinds of sessions, and I, I just want to put this out there. Every breathwork facilitator is different. Please don't listen to me and think you know anything about breathwork. Mm. You know what I'm telling you about breathwork. Mm. That's the way I navigate this, right? Mm. But a different breathwork facilitator is going to have a whole different story to tell. 
And there is no right or wrong way to do this. There are so many different approaches. So please don't knock anybody or say, that's not true because I heard something different. Mm-hmm. The, the beauty of breath is that you can always learn something new. You can always try something new. So one of the reasons that I really resisted breath work was because in order to open my breath, I had to open places in my body that I had long ago closed up. Mm-hmm. I had closed them off physically. So it was really hard to get into them. I had closed them off emotionally and mentally. So very often when you hear people rave about their breathwork experiences, what ends up happening for them is that they found a way, and we're not going to go into the mechanics of it because there are so many different mechanics of how to breathe. Every breathwork facilitator is going to give you a different prescription. They're going to give you a different kind of breath to achieve a different kind of state in the body. Hmm. But often we use this kind of, we use breathwork for trauma release. There's a way to open the breath to target places that have been locked up. And what ends up happening is people spontaneously begin crying. They feel rage. Because they're feeling for the first time. Yes. And they're old feelings. And they don't even have to know why they're feeling, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes, they'll, sometimes they will. Sometimes it's gonna, they're going to have a memory of something that happened to them in grade eight, right? Or even when they were two years old. And it's like, I tell people, don't get attached to the memory. It's old. It already happened. It's just wanting to live. It's wanting to be noticed, It's wanting Mm -hmm. to to be breathed and it's wanting to come back into movement because all of life is about movement. And so breath enables us to come back into the movement and into the flow of life. And that's the beauty of breathwork. And that's why everyone's so excited with it because it's literally right under your nose, like literally pun intended. And it's coming with you everywhere and you can't live without it. And it's free. And it's an embedded tool. It's an embedded tool into our body that we can't live without it. We can't, we can't turn it off. We can't yep. turn it off because we won't survive. But when we use it and it's free and when you, we use it correctly, it only enhances everything else. Like you said. Yeah. So when people say, okay, fine, I'm, I'm going to a breath work facilitator. I'm going to a breath work workshop. Why are they going? Are they going to learn how to breathe? Are they going to do the release? Or are they going to fix to fix something that's broken? Like what what is it that they're doing? I think today it's a buzzword. So people are going because they're curious. They're going because their friends told them to go. And there's this huge misconception that people are throwing out is like, oh wow, breathwork is like psychedelics. You know, I went to breathwork and I had a psychedelic experience. I actually had someone who came to one of my groups and she said, it didn't work on me. And I said, wait, what? You're, you're not dead. So it worked. You're breathing. Just what did, do you think different What worked? did you expect? Right. And she said, well, I, yeah. She said, I was told I was going to have the experience of being on psilocybin. And I was like, oh, well, you should have told me. I can give you a breath. I can prescribe you a breath that's going to make you release DMT and feel like you're on psilocybin. But that's not why we come to breathwork. And maybe that's why some people go, because like I said, every breathwork facilitator is going to give you a different experience. I can only really speak for myself. My goal, and you did start, you said this in the beginning when you introduced me, my belief is systemic. Western medicine focuses on symptoms versus holistic medicine focuses on systems. And breath is the undercurrent of every system in your life. So when when I do this work and when people engage with me, The idea would be we want to elevate every single system in your body. We want to promote health to every system in your body. So when we come and breathe, what we're looking to do 
is, you know, some people, when they come to therapy, they think they're there to talk about their traumas. Now, if you're there to talk about your trauma and you're there to focus on everything that happened to you, you can be there for a long time because I can talk endlessly about what happened to me. I take a little bit of a different approach. I focus on where we want to go. And what happens is if you focus on where you want to go, anything that's in the way will quite naturally come up. It'll come up as a resistance. It'll come up as a blockage, right? It'll come up as pain. So rather than just focus on the pain and you can be there endlessly because it'll drag you down, focus on the pleasure, focus on the health. And if there's something in the way, it will let you know. And then we can focus on just that because it's in the way. And that's my goal of breath work that when we come to breathe, we're focusing on health. We're focusing on clearing. We are focusing on the idea that when you walk out of a breathwork session, you should feel lighter. You should feel younger. You should feel cleaner. You should have the understanding of joy versus happiness. You should feel this diffuse experience of joy. After one breathwork workshop? You sound surprised. No, because a lot of people don't know how to breathe. I know with my client, I don't do breath work, but I use breath in my sessions. Mm -hmm. And I know that very often they're not, they're so not in tune with their breath. It could take a few sessions for them to just be very mindful of where's the breath. What does it feel like? The expansion of the lungs, of the cheeks, of the ears, of the, the, just the muscles. Where is it going? And only after a few sessions can they actually feel the benefits. And they say, oh, I ignited gratitude with my breath today. Like I was able to. There's no awareness of it. So in one session, you can get there? Yes, because we're talking about two slightly different things. You're trying to cultivate mindfulness and awareness. And that requires some consciousness. And the breath work that we do, it's okay if your consciousness doesn't get on board for a little bit. We believe that the breath is powerful in and of itself. If you eat cookies, you may not be conscious of eating cookies, but the scale is going to show it tomorrow. Your body will respond even if your brain doesn't remember eating all of those cookies, right? So when we can alter our breath, the body will respond even though we may not be aware or we may not know exactly what we're doing. And the breath that you're teaching your clients is a mindfulness breath of calming the body The breath that we do in breathwork sessions is actually the complete opposite. We are stimulating the body's nervous system. What we're doing is we're creating a safe container for any interrupted trauma process to come to the surface and be released. When we're working with a coach, we don't want to do that. When we're teaching clients tools for life, we're teaching them tools to regulate. So we're teaching them tools to lower their heart rate, and and those require consciousness. In a breathwork session, because it's a safe container where the facilitator is overseeing the whole thing, we go a little primal. We're going to those places. You're you're awakening the nervous system. You're you're yeah. I mean, you're... and it's a mix. We're doing a lot of it. We're not looking to awaken the nervous system for the sake of just being, you know, insane. We're looking to give this nervous system permission to to, to release release. So that when at the end of the session, and a good facilitator will bring you to closure at the end of the session. When you come back to baseline, your baseline is so much lower than it was before because you've released so much. Mm. So the breath work that we're going to do in a session is going to look very different than the breath that you're going to be teaching your clients, although it's all breath work, right? Because it's all about your relationship to breath. I think this is what you meant. It's not the breath work that you think 
I think when you said to me, it's not, it's just, it's not about learning how to be mindful and use the tool of breath to be more calm, to whatever it is that you're struggling, you're doing, you're using the breath work in order to release what's stuck. Yes. And in fact, the breath work that we do a little bit, I want you to be out of your mind with everything that that sounds like. Yeah. I want you to be out of your mind. Your mind gets in the way. So there is no mindfulness. Is there mindfulness or there is no? Because you said you don't want to be in your body. You said you resisted it because you didn't want to be in the body. So what part of it is in the body? Explain that to me. So all of breath is in the body, but there are so many different ways of breathing. So what you're teaching clients is how to mindful, mindfully be in the body, right? No, mindfully use the breath in order to, to be safe in, in the body. body. Right. But and what if, what if you have someone like me who had so much trauma and shut down and my mind kept telling me, but I'm actually not safe in my body, that every time I used one of those tools, I was coming up against a place that felt terrible for me, right? And so sometimes you have to have the the dual approach. There's the top-down approach where there's a mindfulness approach to breath work, but then sometimes there's the bottom-up approach, right? So if you look at a baby, they're not mindful. They don't have really a developed mind. There's no consciousness in their breathing. It's completely reptilian. It's body-based. They don't have to think about it. And that's why that's why their bodies are so beautiful and, and yummy to look at when they're breathing versus as our conscious minds develop and right. we have these conflicting beliefs in our minds. We, yeah. do, I, do, I, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I show up one way? Do I show up another way? All of a sudden, our breath patterns become awkward and stilted because right. our breath always responds to stimulus. Hmm. And the stimulus can come from the context of our environment and it could come to the what we're thinking about. Hmm. I mean, think about it. When you close your eyes and you think about someone you love, your breath relaxes. When you think about the stress you have at work today or tomorrow, your 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 lungs, uh, your chest contracts. Right. So right. is your breath. And that was just a thought that wasn't even real. And we are not masters of our thoughts. We have so many thoughts, and we live in a world where we are bombarded by sensory input all of the time. So of course our breath is really struggling. So the goal of a breathwork session is that the facilitator creates a container where we can reset the breath. So it's not, I don't want people taking the breath that we do in a session and doing that in the supermarket because they're gonna give themselves a panic attack. What are we doing for ourselves? What do we wanna be? What do we wanna work on? What's important to us? How can we cultivate these small changes in our brain and our day-to-day life with our own tools? I call working with me the VIP program because I handhold you through the process and sometimes the process is very lonely and hard and frustrating and you wanna just make sure you get it right to guide you through it with somebody that went through it. Sometimes you need a therapist, a psychiatrist, a coach and somebody like me, somebody that went through the same thing, the same challenge as I did. And I love working with people that are ready to do the work because it is expensive. It's a lifelong investment into yourself, into your future. When you start working with a therapist, with a coach, or with someone like me, you're investing into your long-term stability, into your long-term mental health. People often ask me, can I work with you? How many times? What does it look like? And I say, it's not about how many times. What are you willing to do to show up, to work on yourself, to make the changes? How ready are you? Because if you're not ready, the investment will go south. You could say, I don't know where I want to go. 
I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't even believe it can, but I'm no longer willing to stay in this position where I am now. Choose yourself. What are you willing to do to bring awareness to yourself, to your mental health, to your stability, to change? How are you going to impact yourself that you will impact the world? If you want to work one-on-one with me, link is in the show notes. Happy to answer any questions that you have. One-on-one with Matana. Schedule a free 30-minute consultation that we can see if you are ready. Be ready for change. Be ready to work hard. Be ready to see a different you. So, Is a session really like a healing session that they should not do this, do not do this at home? Or is it, you know what, we're going to do it a few times and then you're going to be able to use the tools when you are in the right environment to either create a release or whatever you need. Which one is it? It's both. So when people come to me for breath work, I always tell them, this is not the kind of thing that you want to do at home by yourself without a facilitator. Why? Because ever, if you really, ever, even if they come for like so a year, hold, hold. If you really do this the way I teach you, you're going to bump into places where some, like a lot of trauma is going to come up, right? Mm. And you want to have someone who can be there to hold you. And that's the travesty I think that's happening today. Everyone's watching a YouTube clip and they think that they know what they're doing. Mm. And then I get calls frantic, like you're a breathwork facilitator. Why can't I move? What happened to my body? I lost all sensation in my hands and in my feet, you know? And, and someone called me up, you know, I, I went into full-blown tetany, which is like a body shutdown, and I'm in the bathtub. And I'm like, who told you you can do breathwork in the bathtub? Like, that's ridiculous. Have you ever done breathwork before? And they're like, mm. yeah, once, you know. So, mm. so no, I, I tell people after a session with me, you can go home and do this for 10 minutes. That's a good, that's a good start. Do this 10 minutes. Get into bed, put on a good music playlist and breathe like this for 10 minutes. Try not to go longer. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a system to this. After about 12 or 15 minutes is when your trauma starts coming up. If you want to hold that for yourself, that's fine. That's fine. If you feel safe enough. If you feel safe enough, right? And then there's something else. There's something else. Most people, when their trauma comes up, they change their breath pattern. They do not continue breathing in the way they would be instructed to breathe when a facilitator is there. As a facilitator, my role is to make sure that you are moving through this entire process, that you're not shutting yourself down mid-process. If you shut yourself down mid-process, which is what people are likely to do when the trauma comes up and they don't feel like they want to hold that, they stop the breathwork session. Maybe they cry a little bit. Maybe they even take a nap, but they've left their body at a heightened response. So what happens mm. instead of feeling good after the breath work, they may feel a little triggered and mm. then they're like, breath work is terrible. Breath work is dangerous. Breath work doesn't work on me. And I'm like, actually it does, but there is a science behind this. And if you and don't maybe know it the is science, dangerous if you don't use it properly, if you don't know the science, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I tell people, yeah, 10, 15 minutes, 10 minutes is good to do on your own. If you feel confident, if you're going to go longer than that, then you need to know that stuff is going to come up. And you need to know how to breathe through that. You need to know how to hold yourself through that. You need to know how to bring yourself back to baseline. And a lot of people don't know that. And it's okay. Listen, it's your breath. It's your body. If you feel confident experimenting, go ahead and do that. But then don't expect someone else to clean up your mess. You know. So it's kind of both. When you get a certain level of familiarity with the breath work, yes, absolutely. Incorporate this into your life. Make this a practice for yourself. But just know that there are so many levels to this and just know your limitations, like know and, and learn, be willing to learn. If you go to a breathwork session and say, wow, this is an amazing tool. I would love to do this on my own by all means, but then learn about what it would mean to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. Learn about what it does to your body. 
Okay. I actually, I'm an athlete. I love working out and high impact sports make me very, very happy. So breath has always been something of an interest of mine because as an athlete, you have to be really good at breath control. So there are all different kinds. So when I do breath work in terms of the facilitation, we like, we do more Wim Hof. It's not Wim Hof precisely, but it's more like the flooding of the oxygen. But if you see me in the gym, I'm not doing anything like that. I'm doing Buteco. So my mouth is closed the entire time. I barely inhale. You, if you would watch me in the gym, you wouldn't even know that I'm breathing. I'm doing a lot of breath holds. Mm. That's an athlete's breath. My oxygen saturation is very low. Like when, you, when they put like the pulse ox on you, mm. and they want to see how your oxygen levels are. Most people are like 98, 99. Mine are more like 88, 89. Mm. And when I go to the doctor, they think there's something wrong with me. And I laugh and I'm like, no, it's not that there's something wrong with me. I do different kinds of breathing so that the Mm -hmm. oxygen flow from my bloodstream to my cells are different. So on a Mm -hmm. meter, it comes out looking different, Mm -hmm. but you have to know these things. There's so much to learn about breath. It's literally limitless, right? So I do think that everybody, every successful person in the world has some sort of breath practice and it can be the most minor breath practice, like taking a couple of deep breaths three times a day, or there's an awareness. There's some kind of a relationship with a breath. Exactly. And you know who I learned this from? You'll never believe it. Mel Gibson, hmm. the actor. Yeah, why? Right? There was at one point, and I don't remember when it was, I, I think it may have been when he won awards for the Passion of the Christ, but I may be wrong because I was really mm-hmm. young when that came out. Mm-hmm. He once said, people asked him, what is your secret to great acting? And he said, every emotion has a breath attached to it. Mm-hmm. And so when I need to play a scene where I am in fear, I look at the way people who are afraid breathe, and then I mimic that breath. Mm. And within a couple of minutes, I am sweating. I am shaking. My heart is racing. I am actually afraid. I am not acting. That's so I am in panic. And I, I heard this or read this. I mean, I, I, I don't remember because I got this. I, Mel Gibson is the name that I attached mm. to this. I could be completely mm. wrong because it's so many years, but I was a child. Mm. And it's, I've seen it over and over. Every successful person and successful in any area of their life, whether they're successfully physically or Mm -hmm. artistically, they all have some sort of breath practice. Breath is life force. An artist is very connected to life force. That's what makes their art art. There's something Mm -hmm. in it that ignites you. Mm. How are they that connected to life force? They They have a secret about the breath. Ask any successful person and they will tell you, and everyone will tell you something different. Like I said, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's Mm. just fascinating to know that everyone who is successful has something there about breath. Mm. And I've dealt with this a long time because even before I got into breath work, I've always had these little breath tricks, Mm. right? Another thing is that you're asking about what happens in a breath work session. So it's not as simple as like what you're sharing with clients in terms of tools. A breath work session is a container. And there's a lot that goes into the container. So it's not just the breath that we tell people to breathe. Number two, it's the position of the body. I'm very careful with how I want their bodies positioned. There are positions that are okay for breath work. There are positions I never want you to go in for breath work. Mm. And different positions will do different things for you. Mm. There is also the music. A breathwork facilitator, when we guide you through a breathwork session, usually we'll have a music playlist playing in the background. People ask me all the time after my sessions, oh, wow, the music was great. Can I have it? And I say, no, you can't because that's something that I spend hours. I spend tens of hours every month putting together playlists. 
I listen to so much music because music is vibration. Breath is also vibration. If you know the secrets of sound and vibration, you can pretty much get anyone to feel anything if you introduce them to the right vibrations. Mm. I was in advertising and marketing for a long time. Mm. So, and I'm a hypnotherapist, right? Mm. So I don't like to use this word, but manipulation is real. Mm. We can get you to think things. We can get you to feel things. So a really good facilitator is not just good at the mechanics of breath, but they're good at everything about it. The environment, the physical reality, the sensory reality, what music, what sounds are coming in, right? Where there's a journey. My playlists take you on a journey. I update my playlist like every month because I'm a little ADHD. I get bored. And also I'm not the same person mm. that I was a month ago. I need different music. And mm. that's another secret that a lot of breath facilitators don't know. You are the biggest key to your client having an amazing session. Mm. Because as humans, we are antennas. We pick up vibrations from one another. And there's a secret. It's not really a secret. There's a law of energy, and it's called the law of entrainment, where when two frequencies come together, they're going to find to, they're going to want to find a way to sync up. Okay? So usually the lower frequency is going to win because there's a law of gravity. So the higher frequency, maybe the lower frequency will come up a notch, maybe two notches, but it's more likely that the higher frequency will lower itself. Right. But if you maintain a high frequency with consciousness and you maintain it long enough, then the low frequency will will eventually rise. Whichever frequency is either heavier or has the higher consciousness, right? And as humans, we have consciousness. So as a breathwork facilitator, my frequency impacts the entire room. And if that sounds big headed, well, no, but actually the, the frequencies hardest... are constantly balancing. It's constantly. Right. We think but that I'm and the it's unautomatic, but it's unautomatic. It's, it's unautomatic. We don't but have as to the be facilitator, mindful of it. It just happens. Exactly. But as the facilitator, I am the most mindful person in the room. Mm. And if I know this law, the law of entrainment, that mm. our frequencies are always in training with one another. Yes, you can take 20 people into a room and have them breathe together. And the likely outcome will be that at a certain point, they're going to sync up because that's right. the natural outgrowth. Right. But I can't guarantee where they're going to sync up because you took 20 random strangers, you put right. them into a room, eventually right. they'll sync. What if I could guarantee it? Because I know that if I they're keep gonna match my, you. they're going to match me. Given enough time and given enough consciousness and enough commitment, I know exactly where they're going to end up because I've done my work. Right. And so ultimately, the breathwork facilitator is so much more, not is so much more, can be so much more. And that's why you should do your research before breathing with someone. It's not just about the mechanics of their mm-hmm. training. It's also about who they are as a person mm-hmm. because breath is a relational model. Mm-hmm. I can tell you how to breathe, but if we're together in the room, it's so much easier because it's not just me telling you how to breathe. I give you my output and that affects you whether you know it or not. And that's why after speaking with someone for a long time, your nervous systems will sync up, right? They'll regulate. Your tone might go a little lower to match my tone, right? And that's how conversations evolve. Mm. That's how breath conversations evolve as well. And Mm. if a breathwork facilitator can retain that high level of consciousness, I really believe that we can change the entire world. This is not just a personal thing that you can go for a breath session for your healing. I think this is a a worldwide thing. 
enough people change their breath patterns, we're all breathing each other's air, right? So you maintain that high level of consciousness in your breath. Mm -hmm. It resonates, it reverberates, it moves out to other people. And all it takes is, you know, it's that ripple effect. And that's why I'm so passionate about breath work because, but there's a downside. The more involved and invested you get into this, the less tolerance you have for anything that's not in resonance. <laughs> because my entire life, yeah. shutting down my body, mm. right, made me very versatile. It made me very adaptable. Mm. I had no needs. I was able to switch my breath at the snap of a finger. I no longer can do that. I no longer want to do that. There is a certain resonance that I am not willing to compromise on. It's mm. the resonance. It's my frequency. Mm-hmm. It's my health. And then all of a sudden I live in the city and it's becoming unbearable. Things that I did not notice five or 10 years ago are becoming a real detriment to my mental health. Mm-hmm. Right. Or when the kids rush in after school and they're like, ma, ma, ma. And you're like, Ooh, Ooh, there's right. an adjustment period. Like, please right, don't right. bring that outside right, panic. Right, right. I know you sat on the city bus for 40 minutes. <laughs> don't know. bring that into my house, right? Right, right. right. So it really, I have, I have two kids that are on the uh, spectrum for autism. Very, very high functioning. I think I'm on the spectrum too. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it wouldn't surprise me if I got, you know, got myself a little bit of a diagnosis. <laughs> but what it taught me is we're completely misunderstanding these kids. There's nothing wrong. They have such a fine attunement. Mm. Yes. I'm a, I'm a musician, so I play a lot of different instruments. And it's amazing, like the tune of an instrument. When you play a string instrument, mm. and there's one string out of tune, everything mm. sounds wrong. Right, right. And if you're not very musical, you may not notice it. But if right. you're musical, you're like, oh, my God, I right. can't hear it. Right, right, right. right. Breathwork makes you musical. that mm. you puts you back in touch with the song of creation. Mm. And you start realizing where there is harmony, where there is resonance, and where it's completely not, and where there isn't, either you become very motivated and passionate about fixing it, or you realize this is toxic. I need away from this. And my kids were my greatest teachers because I learned how to disconnect from my body when I was a very young, and I learned how to just not feel, right? But then I became a mother of kids that are on the spectrum, and they feel too much, And our world tells us that there's something wrong with these kids, but God knew what he was doing, giving me these kids. And especially in relation to the work that I was doing and realizing, wait, wait, these kids are picking up on something that Mm -hmm. I pick up on too, when I'm doing breath work, maybe they're just highly tuned Mm -hmm. frequent. They can tell. And maybe that's why so many of these kids are being born today, because as we're elevating our consciousness, Two Mm. things are happening. Number one, we're elevating our consciousness. So these kinds of souls are ready to be born. Number two, the world is tanking. Like Mm. we are more unhealthy than ever externally, right? right? And so these souls are coming in because they're ready for the elevation of consciousness, but they're all triggered. Like you cannot imagine Mm. because these surround, and maybe these kids, instead of medicating these kids, Maybe these kids are trying to tell us something. The world that you have prepared for us is so completely out of alignment. And we have to go back to something better, more Mm. in touch with nature, more in touch with the origins of mankind, where God prepared this beautiful world full of nature and only then brought Adam to life, right? Mm. And the breath was the marker of all of that. Right. So that's my fascination with all of this, you know? 
Hmm. Yeah. Coming back to basics of yeah. like of our it's like the language of the soul. Mm-hmm. And um and what I understood you saying is that when we are in tuned with our breath and we know how to use it properly, first of all, it will be a vessel to bring awareness of what needs more atten- attention or less attention or release and also give us a better way of living every day. Yes. And also breath is your battery, right? It's your life force. Mm-hmm. If your breath is only going up to here, you're not operating with your full battery, right? When you're coming down here or forget about that. If I wanted to share something with you, something that I was deeply passionate about, and I spoke up here, you would be having a splitting headache after five minutes of hearing me talk. But real passion, mm. a full-bodied experience. I mean, let's talk it back to sexuality and intimacy, right? Pleasure. Pleasure isn't up here, right? Pleasure is a full-bodied experience. So the more resonance you have, the deeper your breath goes, the more sensation you have. The more, not just the more emotional feelings you have, but the more physical sensations right. you have. You have right. so many people today walking around numb. Mm. And you have so many people today who are scared to feel, so they deliberately numb themselves out. Mm. But then you have so many people today who think that there's something wrong with them when they're not experiencing pleasure, whether it's in the bedroom or anywhere else. And it's like, well, of course, they're, they're, they're mutually exclusive. You can't numb out your feelings. And then also feel pleasure because the body and the soul and the emotions, they all mimic one another. So the more in your body you can feel and not from an adrenaline high Mm. because adrenaline has no choice but to come down Mm. after it peaks. But joy, joy is much deeper. It is down. It's all the way down. There's nowhere to go but up, but full, but broad. Yeah. And something you asked me again, like who are the founders of breathwork? And again, every, there are so many different teachers and it's definitely making its comeback. But a couple of weeks ago, I was reading the Parsha, right? The Torah portion of the week. And it was the portion where Yaakov and Esau, right? Were getting the blessing from their father, from Isaac. And Yaakov went to Isaac in the place of his brother, Esau, right? So he tells his mother, because his mother was the one who encouraged him to do this. Mm-hmm. And he tells his mother, I don't want to lie. I don't want to deceive my father. Mm -hmm. And his mother agrees. And then the next thing they do is cover him in skins, Mm. right? To mimic hair. Mm. But then he goes to his father and his father says, well, the hair, the skin, the hands are the hands of the brother Esau, but the voice is the voice of Yaakov, of Jacob. And it's like, it's so confusing. Wait, did he, did he deceive his father or did he not deceive his father? And what constitutes deception? If he says, I don't want to deceive, then why, why, why don't I like, so is he deceiving or is he not? So very interestingly, the art of putting on hair was not deception, was not deception. His mother told him, this is the blessing of manhood. It's the blessing of going out and forming a nation. Asaph was a man. Asaph had taken on his hair, his puberty. Jacob had not. He was known as, as bald-headed. He had no hair. And so Rivka, his mother, said, you need to grow hair. You need to take on your manhood. Otherwise, you're not fit for the blessing. And that's why he did it, to show he was ready to be a man. So when his father felt him, he says, I could feel you have the hair of manhood, right? But he did not change his voice. And the Ramban, Nachmanides, he said 
that the changing of the voice is comparable to idolatry Hmm. because God moves through your vocal cords. And when you change your voice, you are disrupting the flow of God's exhale. Hmm. And so Jacob said, I will not do that. And when he showed up to his father, when he showed up to his father with the skins, with hair, and with his voice as it is, his father's response was so interesting. He said, Ru'u, see, he ben, like this is my son. Yeah. Isaac was blind. Isaac was blind. Right. So what, what did he mean by saying, I see you? Mm-hmm. He says, I see you, my son. Your voice mm-hmm. is your witness. Your voice is how you are seen. Right. Your voice is the, is the print for how you show up in the world. And Isaac said, I see you. Mm. I see you, my son. Right. And now you are ready. And it was not deception. Isaac knew exactly what he was doing. I see you. Mm. You're, you're real to me. Because right. until then, Jacob, the name Yaakov means the heels. He was always on the heels of his brother. Mm-hmm. He copied everything that his brother right. did. And it was only here when he didn't copy his brother, when he spoke in his own voice, his father says, now I see you. You are not just a shadow of your brother. I see you. You are ready. And that's when he gave the blessing. And it's so profound when I read this Midrashic interpretation that when you change your voice, it's considered like idolatry because really there's something very godly about the breath and how your voice carries that for you. And if we had, I, mean, I don't know how much time we have, but it's literally in the Ten Commandments. Like God says it. It's so right. clear. Right. The, the Ninth Commandment is, Lo sa'ane vireyacha eid shaker. You shall not answer for your friend a false witness. But God could just say you should not lie. Right? So why doesn't God say just don't lie? Why does he say you shall not answer false witness? Because what is the witness? What do you stand? What do you stand for? It's your, it's your answering. When you answer, yep. when you speak your voice, you're giving witness to something. Yep. If you change your voice or if you're not 100% in alignment, your voice will let you know that. It will let everybody know that. Right. And I speak about this all the time because I'm so passionate about this. Just yesterday, my daughter and I recorded a song two years ago for her bat mitzvah. Two years ago? She's turning 15 now, so it's three years ago, three years ago. for her bat mitzvah. And we came on in the car and she says, Ma, your voice is so two years ago. <laughs> and it was like, you know, but it's true. Oh, it's, wow. Because, it, you know, if, if listeners to this podcast wow. are going to go and listen to the first episode that we've ever right. done together, right. there is right. no question that my voice is different. Right. 100%. A lot of time has passed. A hundred percent. Right. Wow. So, so your powerful. voice is always going to let you know where you're at. Always. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's interesting because the four agreements, the one, the first agreement is is, spe- is speech, your voice, your ma'amar, your your word, um, and your word creates. Okay, we believe we, we can talk about this for oh yeah for about the power of word, but I think the power of word is how it's said, and our subconscious knows our conviction if it's with passion or with uh you know like where yeah. is it coming from? Where is your voice coming from? And your subconscious knows. And that's why, like, when people come into a room with angry people that are high-pitched, right away, they're going to, as you say, match the vibration and get tense. And 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 unless you're, like, super, super aligned person with your intuition and, and say, okay, fine, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let them match me. I, I'm, I'm right. going to, I'm going to disconnect myself. But, but. The voice, the ma, the dibur, the the word, the it's all connected to the breath, 
And that's why it's the the number one agreement of of truth and what we I think the 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 greatest agreement to us to others is in our in our voice and there's no voice without breath. Yeah, I mean I think I've shared this with you before. I don't know if we've ever said it on an episode, but the ineffable name of God, right? So in the Jewish tradition, we say God's name all the time. Mm-hmm. But then there's one of God's names that we say we don't say his name. And I'm like, that's not true. We always say God's name. So it's it's the Yudke Vavke breath, okay. which is Y H double not Shakai. Oh, Shakai not we Shakai. say. Right? Oh, it's Yudke so Vavke. Oh, okay. Right? Which right. is in English it's spelled Y H W H. The tetragram tetragramata? Tetragram? Whatever. No, no. We don't we don't say that one. Mm-hmm. We call it the ineffable name. And we always say we don't say God's name. And I'm like, but we do. We do. All of the other gods has many names and we say all of them, right? In fact, some of our children, right, we have God's name embedded in some of our names. Right. right? Like one of my yeah. child, one of my, right. Yeah. My son's name is Yedidya. Yeah. I, ha- I have another son, Eli Melech, like, mm-hmm. right? Those are all right. God's names. Right. We say them all the time. So why not this one? Because this name is the ineffable name. It cannot be said. It's not that we do not say it. It's not pronounceable. Think about it. Y H W H. They they just it just can't be said. Try pronouncing it, right? Except, except you can if you understand what it looks like. When you breathe in through your nose, your tongue goes up to your palate as if you were saying the letter Y. At the top of the breath, there's a pause, that's the H. There's the exhale through the lips, that's the W. And at the bottom of the exhale is another H, that's the H, right? So the sound of God's name, it can't be said because there are no consonants. There are only wind sounds. God's name is the sound of a deep breath, Hmm. okay? So every breath you take, literally, or every word that you say, Mm -hmm. comes and rides on the back of God's name. Hmm. You cannot speak without powering your speech by the breath, which is God's name. Mm. So talking about the Ten Commandments again, right? The first commandment is, I am your Lord God, God, right? Second one is, you shall not have any other gods than me. The third one is, you shall not use my name in vain. And it's like, okay, do not blaspheme. (laughs) What does that mean? Seriously, like, what does that mean? Right. Right. And what it means is, is that if you are really connected to the idea that God is everywhere, that you are a manifestation of the divine, Mm. every breath that you take is an emanation of God, Mm. you will never use your words unconsciously. Because every it's not just blaspheming by, by cursing the name of God or saying something in God's name. Everything you say is in God's name. And this brings you right back to the four agreements. And I was pointing before, I have Mm. two copies of this book. I love Mm. it so much. I have two copies sitting on my shelf. Yes, you cannot say anything, anything, because every word is powered by God. So every single one of your words will be so intentional, which is, I think, a miracle to understand the power of your words. And I had a teacher. And we don't use it. Well, we no. don't use it to our advantage. I mean, we use no. it. I feel like we use it a lot in fear and like the media. If we see media, they do. They use it very well because they instill fear. They instill hate. They instill disaster. But what if we? they do it very well with their words, right? Yeah. Very intentional. 
But Very. If we, what if we used it intentionally for peace, for for blessings, for good? Yeah. I had a teacher who told me, not me, she told my class in eighth grade that anyone who is careful to only speak true, God slash the universe will make sure that everything that they say comes true. Mm. If you filter your words so that you speak only with integrity, mm-hmm. then the universe is going to match that integrity. Mm-hmm. And you know, when they say what came first, the chicken or the egg, it won't matter right. anymore. Right. Because right. the universe doesn't care about time. It's just a construct. Right. Right. And yes, when you say about the media, I have to tell you something. I I try. I don't have social media. Like I said, I'm very influenced because I find that the more I do this work, I'm much more sensitive. And I've always yeah. been a sensitive person. Mm-hmm. I, I no longer have the bandwidth to right. entertain the media. Right. That doesn't mean I live under a rock. Right. It just means I'm very careful about how I allow my information to come to me. Right. And unfortunately, even though I don't have social media, I do have YouTube, right? Mm. And what has evolved from when YouTube began to what it is right now is the algorithms. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that you would go onto YouTube and you would search for something. Right. And then now it's constantly, it's basically like Instagram. It's constantly mm-hmm. feeding you stuff. And I, I have fallen down that rabbit hole here and there. So a couple of nights ago, I was scrolling because that's what they design. That's that's what they are designed to make you do. And there was someone on my feed that I happen to like watching because their voice is so resonant, mm. beautiful, deep, deep voice. I'm not even going to go into what kind of content they produce. It doesn't matter. I just fell in love with this person's voice and whatever they produce, it's it's easy to mm-hmm. listen to. And yesterday, something came. Yesterday before something came up on the feed that was spewing hate. Mm. And the problem with that particular piece was that normally I can discount people's political leanings or their views. I don't judge people by them. But this person's voice was so deep in their body, so resonant when they said that, that immediately something in me turned, like my blood turned to ice. Wow. Because this wasn't the kind of hate of Mm -hmm. like, you know, the media, the frenzy, this was hate that lived in every fiber of his being. Wow. And, you know, sometimes when I watch... It was truth to him. It was truth to him. Truth. And you know, sometimes when I watch the media, right, or I'll go to places and you hear the mm-hmm. agendas and the people right. screaming, right. and it's it's hateful and it's hurtful and it's ugly, and I just want to be far away from that. Right. But right. there's also a part of me, again, I was in advertising. There's also a part of me that knows that these people are hypnotized. That given a different context, for sure, different, different for sure. media input. For sure. It's also very yeah. in nowadays. Today. Yes. In the, yes. yeah, a hundred percent. But I, I, I so resonate with what you're saying. I so resonate because a few people come to my mind in that. And I, and very, very often in, in our household, my kids know that we don't talk news in my house, but it's, there's no such thing as, that's why we didn't have, we don't have a TV since 2008. We don't have, it just doesn't exist in my house because I'm anti-news. And that's how I survived COVID because I was not part of the news. And I, and, and now with Israel, all I want to know is who's back. 
What yeah. can we do to help? Don't tell me the horror stories. And my kids make fun of me that I don't, that I live under a rock and I don't know the horror stories. I said, it's not going to help me to know the horror stories. It's not going to give me more. I'm not going to pray harder because I saw those horror stories. So I'm, no, I didn't watch any of the videos and I'm okay with it and it's fine. But I will, I, but there are certain people that I'll follow for other things and then they bring their their political views and that and and that's very triggering for me very 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 triggering for me and i say to kid to my kids often i want you to know that 90 something percent of the people that are talking don't even believe what they're saying i'm telling you in their hearts they don't believe it they're programmed they're brainwashed or they're just trending because it's cool to be a, a say something whatever that that's cool to say now because i don't know outspoken or whatever but what you were said before but some very few you feel like it became their truth and that's what's yeah. scary that is what's so horrifying yeah when you see that part of them their existence it's in their it became them it's their dna yeah and it's, it's unquestionable that, that is scary and that hate doesn't look like, oh my God, I hate you. Right. It's it's this deep seated, I could kill you in cold blood and I wouldn't think twice about it. And still and, and go about my day afterwards. Yeah, because you mean so little to me. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm a descendant of Holocaust survivors. And it's as much as you grow up knowing the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Then you live in a world where you just like, yeah, but it's never going to happen again, right? Mm. And then and then you hear this. Mm. And I'm going to say something, though. I also don't have a TV, right? And we're we're a media-free family. Like, we don't... I mean, my kids are young, so right. I don't... But we're not exposing them to TikTok or... Because we don't have it. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And, and ideally, like, we would hope that they would continue in that. I have a teenage son who is absolutely not on board. He does have social media. Mm. And, and it's funny, my younger kids are watching his mental health. And yeah. as parents, we're very much like, hey, you know, our, you know what we believe in, right? Mm -hmm. But you gotta, you can see that he's mm. not, you can see the effect. He can't see it on himself yet, but he will, hopefully, hopefully. But I do believe when you say, I haven't watched any of the videos, I haven't either. And you know me, there's this instinct. I want to be involved. I want to help. And I am looking to hopefully get myself over to Israel and do some breath work with people there. But what I realized is this is a psychological war. This mm -hmm. is psychological warfare that we've never had because wars used to get fought on the front lines. Right, right. Now wars are being fought in, in our minds. Mind. With TikTok. TikTok. Right, right. And that brings me right back to breath work. Right. When we say you take my breath away, Mm. Or I'm so stressed I can't breathe. Your breath will always be a reflection of your environment. Mm. People know this, okay? TikTok knows this. When the algorithms are giving you horror and you lose your breath, they have weakened you mentally. They have weakened you emotionally and physically. Then you're feeling anxious and you don't know why. You've lost the war before you even realize that you were a part of it. And that's why I think that in this current climate, and I don't know when you're going to release this episode. So hopefully, hopefully you're going to, yeah, but hopefully by the time you release this episode, all of this is going to be, I don't know. History, I don't know. You know. I don't know how it could be unless, I don't know how. No matter prayer. what happens. I don't know. Right. Like Because as you said, it's not about bringing home the hostages and whatever. It's, right. a, it's a psychological warfare that's happening. Yeah. 
beyond Israel and Gaza. It's yeah. now worldwide and people are realizing, oh, it's not the war. I, when when we landed back in America after the war, my daughter, right away as we landed, she's like, oh, mommy, we don't have to, we can go to sleep and not worry. I said, oh, Tiferet, how wrong you are. Um, yeah, you might not have to worry about a siren and about running to the shelter and hearing would be out and if we'll be out in the street and you'll see missiles going off. Maybe maybe that you're safe, but it's so much more dangerous when you have no idea or no yeah. siren warning you of the hate. And it's beyond. It's beyond. And as you said, it's a psychological warfare. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I feel like when people are feeling helpless and whatever the situation, I, I hope that by the time this episode is released, we live in a better world. And there's right? no TikTok and there's no TikTok. <laughs> right. Whatever it is. I hope everything is ancient I history. I think but, one of the presidential yeah. candidates, she said, well, the first thing we have to do is ban TikTok from USA. I'm like, oh, my God, for sure. But do you know that TikTok is owned by China? Right. And in China, the algorithms are completely different. Did you know that? No. Kids in China, know. when kids in the U.S. scroll the algorithms on TikTok, what comes up are ridiculous TikTok dances and pranks. When kids in China are scrolling TikTok, their algorithms are giving them kids who won chess competitions, math, kids who math, did, uh, math right? yes, right. and they are where our children are next. Yes, yeah. our next generation is being hypnotized. But you know why? Because that's what they're searching. So they feed you what you search. They do feed you what they search, but on some level, they also control the algorithms. So on the one hand, they feed you what you search, but they also tell you what to search, right? right? They're, they're giving you input as well. And China does not, they control the algorithms. They're not showing videos of pranks. That's mm -hmm. American. So American culture and our next generation is, they're becoming the generation of gamers. They're becoming a generation of media. China is not becoming that. Like the war is psychological. It is not a nuclear war that we need to be worried about. We have lost the war so scary. because we're already tainted with that manipulation that we've got off our screens. Mm. And so all of this, no matter where we go, like no matter what the political climate is when this episode is released or whenever you're listening to this, you have to know that breath is the ultimate frontier. Breath will never lie to you. So whatever whatever the media is trying to do with you, whatever TikTok is trying to do with you, the mind can lie and the mind will influence the breath. Mm -hmm. But if you learn the language of the breath, which is a bottom up approach, because babies, before they develop their mind and they are completely in tune, they know they have this life force through them. And if you can bypass your mind and get into the breath and you can get into a place that is so deep in your body, you will become unshakable. Your convictions will become something that nobody can take away from you. Your values, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health. We live in a world that is constantly threatening you. It's threatening everything you believe in. So take something that they can't threaten, mm -hmm. which is your relationship to the breath. Because for as long as you are breathing, for as long as you are alive, this has to be your primary source of nourishment. Mm -hmm. Food, there are days you'll eat more, there are days you'll eat less. There are days you'll eat healthier, there are days, but breath. And when you asked me before, that's it, one session, they can accomplish so much in one session. Whenever I get people asking me this question, I always tell Do them- Do people really to... come for one session? Yeah. And they always ask at the end of the session, oh my gosh, when can I do this again? And I'm like, you can do this every day. You can do this three times a day if you want to, realistically and monetarily, that doesn't make sense. But when I go down to places, they usually try to call me down. I go to different communities. They usually try to call me down once a month. That's as much as my schedule allows. 
but yes, people should be doing this as often as possible. I mean, I have a breath practice that I do every day, right? But I always tell but people- But is it a breath practice as what you do in the workshop? It's the same every day the music and all that. And so I listen to my body a lot and I ask my body what it needs. Sometimes I'll do a breath practice where I'm trying something new, right? Where mm -hmm. I want to cultivate a certain experience in my body. Sometimes I just, most of the times actually, my breath practice is breath, you are higher than me. You are an exhale of the divine. There's not nearly anything that I know that can match up to what you know. Mm -hmm. So why don't I spend 10 minutes getting out of the way and letting the breath take over and getting curious and asking the breath, you, this angelic being, you exhale of the divine who has touched source. Why don't you teach me something instead of me trying to control you? What if I surrendered myself so completely so that you could control me? And you can tell me what I need to know today. The so breath is so wise. A, so it's a meditation. It's Absolutely. more of a, it's a, uh, a form of guided meditation through your breath. And I believe that the breath is a spirit. I believe that there's an angel, so to speak, mm -hmm. of breath. And the mm -hmm. reason I believe that is because you cannot keep a person alive. It's not oxygen that keeps them alive. You, you cannot give oxygen to a dead person. It's not going to mm -hmm. do anything. There is something in the breath that is more than just oxygen and carbon dioxide. And yes, we breathe in carbon. We need carbon. People think that we only breathe out carbon dioxide. Actually, you need a certain level of carbon dioxide in your body at all times. So it's a myth that carbon dioxide is just a toxin. It's actually very valuable. I believe that there's a spirit. There's something holy in the breath. And I speak to that, to that holiness, to that spirit that I, that I give gratitude to every morning. Thank you for giving me this return, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever people say, can one session do all of that? I tell them or even more so, can a group session do all that? Like a, a workshop? Yeah, I'll talk about a group in a minute. But I tell people, why don't you just do this with me? Take a deep breath and hold it. Just hold it and see how long you go. And some people are 10 seconds. Some people are 30 seconds. And those really amazing people have done a lot of Wim Hof. I'd be like, I can hold my breath for four minutes. And it's like, great. What happens at four minutes and 30 seconds? Right? They're always like, <gasps> Right? But, and I tell them, why did you do that? I told you to hold your breath. And they're like, no, I was feeling lightheaded. I was, and I'm like, really? In 30 seconds of holding your breath, your physiology was already changing. Parts of your organs were shutting down. We're gasping. We're going into a state of emergency. And that was only in 30 seconds. So yes, breath works very quickly. Very, very quickly. If you take a breathwork session, which can go anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half to maybe three hours, depending on what you're doing, of course, it's going to work fast. If 30 seconds is enough to make your whole body go down, right? Imagine what 30 minutes can do. Hmm. Breath is instant. Now, the difference between, is it sustainable, by the way? Like, just because you did an amazing breathwork session, is it sustainable? Yes and no. Like, on one hand, it's going to clear you of certain things. On the other hand, it's a relationship. You can, you can go to one breathwork session and say, that breathwork session changed my life. But what are you going to do to keep it relevant? And that's why breath has to be a relationship that you constantly commit to. Now, in terms of the difference between a breath session individual and a breath group, again, notwithstanding the facilitator, their methodology, the music they use, the mechanics of what they're telling to do, because there are so many variables here. But on the most basic level, what's the difference between an individual and a group session? 
So in an individual session, it's much more mechanical. The facilitator is with you and only with you, and they are looking at you and they are guiding your breath. They have their hands and their eyes on you at all times. I My first exposure to breathwork was in an individual session. And my husband was the one who's like, you need to try this. And I'm like, dude, I read so much about breath. I know everything. He's like, Folly, you can't read about breath. You actually have to breathe the breath, you know, but I was very resistant. Again, like I said, I wanted to read about the breath. I wanted to know about the breath. I didn't want to be breathed by the breath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, that's not a mistake. I didn't say I didn't want to breathe. I said, I didn't want to be breathed. That's mm-hmm. what we do in breath work. There's a moment where you start and you're breathing and then something shifts and all of a sudden you realize you're being breathed. Mm-hmm. There's a higher power breathing you. Love that. Uh, there's a beauty in that. And so my first session was an individual session. It was so profound and it was also so intense because the facilitator was, I'm a very private person and the facilitator was like staring at me and I, you know, I've had like body image issues and it's not like I was undressed, but like you have someone staring at your body the entire time, but I cried and it was super profound. And afterwards I came to my husband and I said, yeah, I get it now. I really get it. Like this is, I get it. And my husband says, but wait until you do this in a group. And I was like, what? No, I would never. I would never, like, you know, never. And he's like, you have nothing compares. Nothing compares to doing this in a group. Because the energies are like, so the next, so feeding off each other. I resisted this. I resisted this. But like a month or two later, I ended up at a workshop where I was just observing. It was a men's workshop and I run women's workshops. So this was the men's staff day. And I was just observing, just observing to, because I was getting ready to run my, my women's workshop. And I was there with the permission of all the staff. They knew that like, you know, it could be awkward if a woman is there. And then at one point they were doing breath work and I was invited to join. And I was like, yeah, there's no way, like th- this isn't just a group. It's a group of men, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, I'm not going to mm-hmm. do this, but I, but I wanted to observe. And this was before I started doing breath work. Like I said, this is the end of 2017 and I'm just standing in the corner and watching and I'm watching and I'm watching. And what I didn't know is that breath is catchy. Again, we're all vibrating, right, at each other's frequencies. And eventually my breath, without knowing anything about breath work, without intending to, my breath started becoming activated. Before I knew what hit me, I am sobbing on the floor. Oh I am God. crying my heart out. Wow. And I'm this like tiny person. I'm five feet tall. Wow. I'm like a hundred pounds. And you have a bunch of these men who are like muscular, six feet tall. And, you know, breath can also bring, because emotions are coming up, movements may be coming up, sounds may be coming up. So these guys are like roaring. Mm. They're like, Rah! <laughs> I'm crying. Wow. And my brother was in the room. So my brother was on the other end of the room. And he sees that I'm having a hard time. So he, he starts coming to me and one of the facilitators is like, where are you going? He's like, I just want to be with my sister. And I don't know, all of a sudden I'm like in my brother's lap. He's, he's my younger brother and he's wow. holding me and we're both crying. We were like, we never got hugs when we were younger. Oh, <laughs> I wow. love you. And like, we've never spoken that way to each other. We've wow. never, we've never hugged each other. And then there was another guy sitting right across from us. And he's like, he has tears streaming down his face. Mm. And I'm like, what are you looking at? He's like, I never hugged my sister. It's so beautiful. Oh. It was this like, it was this mess of emotions. At the very end, I went home and I told my husband, oh, wow. Like, I get it. Now I get it. Mm. So he's like, so are you going to start doing breath work? I'm like, no, it's not my medicine. It's still too vulnerable for me. I have to say, me and my brother, our relationship changed. This was in 2017. We are so close today. We had not been close in our childhood. Mm. That changed it. For That breath work wow. session changed everything. Wow. 
But my journey through breathwork evolved from there. That wasn't what turned me on to breathwork. There was more that ended up happening. But when I do breathwork right now, and I, I've done my sessions, like I, I, it's, it's irresponsible, by the way, to run group sessions unless you have at least a year's worth of private sessions down pat. And a year oh, so worth it's the like, next level you're saying. You it have is to very much a next level one-on-one before you yeah. go. What disturbs me, yeah, workshops. it's very disturbing today to see people take a five-day training and all of a sudden they're running groups. Mm. I gave hundreds of hours to private sessions, hundreds, mm. learning the body like the back of my hand. Mm. I, the reason that people think I'm psychic, the reason that people are amazed at what I can do by listening to people's voices, this didn't happen overnight. It came from my 10,000 hours of mm. gazing at people's bodies, of following the breath, mm. of making connections. This is not something that can be taught. It's right. something that has to be learned and right. takes time. Right. So when so people who are running groups without a minimum of a year to 18-month experiment is irresponsible. And under supervision, it's not just right. I had experience under supervision. It's a lot there. Mm. But and even groups, first I did two people at a time, like couples, mm. right? Then it evolved to four people and six. It took me a year of group work to feel confident doing eight to 10 people. Mm. And now after doing this for many, many years, I have a cap that I won't go above that cap. Right. Not because I can't, but because I want to give people the time and attention. It's not healthy. But it's can not good. You? So like, let's say there are 20 right. people in the room. How I can do 20 for, for two hours. Yeah. And I can do 20 getting their, their, I can do 20 because again, I have years of experience and because I can read people very quickly at this point. Mm. When I go over to you, I know instantly where the breath is going, but this is out of so much repetition, mm. right? Mm. And after years of doing this, I don't want to go up to more than, I don't want to do more than 20. Right. People right. have been telling me I you feel can like do 20, I feel like 20 is huge. Like why would anybody want to be with so many? So again, why? when you breathe in a group, a few different things happen. Number one, you get activated much faster because- I literally believe we are breathing everybody else's air. Mm -hmm. So if the person next to you is struggling in their marriage, you think that you came here to breathe about your children, your parenting, mm -hmm. but the marriage theme is already in the air. And so you breathe that in, you put the parenting theme in the air. So they breathe that in. And all of a sudden there's so much more happening for you than just this piece that you came to work on. Mm -hmm. You get activated by somebody else's thoughts, by somebody else crying and you move through it so much quicker because let's say the person next to you processed her marriage thing. By the time your marriage thing comes up, energetically, it's been processed. So mm. you're moving through it quicker. There's a, there's a beauty in that. We, we and, and the idea that you know that you're not alone. So it can actually feel very, people are like, I would never breathe in a group. It's so much more vulnerable. Weirdly enough, after having experienced both, and I have a lot of experience with both, I find breathing privately is more vulnerable. Someone is staring at you the entire time. There's no escape. Right. You cannot check out for even one it's moment. More of that intimate. It's more intimate. Yeah. 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 In sure. a group, you can surrender to the energy of the group. You get mm -hmm. more out of it. You have to do less work because the group energy carries you and no one's staring at you the entire time. Also, keep in mind, this is all done in the dark with blindfolds. So you don't know. Like the beauty of breathwork is you walk in strangers. So for two hours, out. people are blindfolded for two hours. So it's not a full two hours. The, the session is two hours, but usually there's like a half hour of speaking in the beginning, right? There's a little bit of setup, a little bit of instruction. The breath can change from session to session. We don't always do the same breath. So there's a little bit of introduction, a little bit of intention setting. Then we'll breathe usually for an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, mm -hmm. right? 
Uh, sometimes it can be a little longer depending on how I feel the group is doing. And then there's 15 to 20 minutes at the end where people have to come back to themselves, settle, share a little bit. Yeah. So it's a two hour container. Right. The breathing can be anywhere from an hour to an hour, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And do people do this like a yoga thing, like a practice once, like you say, once a month or whatever, or every other week? Do people do this on a like like exercise or do people do this like as a healing experience, one and done or a few and done? What is it like? Everything. Everything that you just said. So if you're someone like me. they come with an intention? Like they say, oh, I'm struggling with something or I'm ready to work on a childhood trauma or I want to, I feel there's a blockage. I'm going for that. Do you have to come with attention, a specific intention or not? So I always tell people, do come with an intention. Mm -hmm. It's always good. Not because I necessarily need you to focus on that intention, but because come in consciously. Take a few minutes before you do something like this and put some consciousness to that. Mm. What would you like to get out of the session? Mm. So some people come into a session and they're gripping that intention so high, hard. You're like, you know, you're cutting off blood flow to that intention. Stop holding it so hard. You know, mm. come in with a mindful idea of what you would like to work on, but also be prepared that the breath will take you to where you need to go. Mm. And it may not be where you think. Mm. Okay. So you may be like, I'm ready to get divorced. That's what I'm breathing on. And the breath might want to take you to your childhood, to the relationship that you had with your dad. And you're like, I don't want to think about my dad. I only want to think about my, you know, my, 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 my marriage and my husband and how we're, and, and the mistake that you might be making is that if you actually let the breath guide you, you may realize it's not your marriage that's the issue. Mm. It's the fact that you're having a hard time showing up because mm. you think your husband is your father. Right. And so you, you need to be able to relax that intention. Mm. Because the breath, no, the breath is so wise, mm. right? Now, in terms of where people can go with this, so if you're like me and you recognize the value in this, you realize breath is, is non-negotiable. It has to become a way of life, right? And there are so many different ways. Do I lay down on my bed with breathwork music every day? No, but I do have breath practices every day. So I play a flute, a flute is a wind instrument. In order to play a flute, or my, it's really my, my, my instrument is a drone. It's a wooden Native American flute. It's called a drone. It's a two-chambered flute. Uh, it's a, I actually have two. One is a two-chambered, one is a four-chambered. Your breath uh, capacity has to be so amazing, mm -hmm. right? So am I doing breath work, traditional breath work every day? Maybe mm -hmm. I'm playing my flute for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's a form of breath work. Mm -hmm. Flutes are all about the exhale. That means mm. when I play after a few minutes, my heart rate is down. That's a breath practice. You know what else is a breath practice for me? I hum. Mm, that's a breath practice. It's an exhale. It lowers your heart rate. I go to the gym and I practice my buteco breathing. I do breath holds. That's a breath practice. They're all, I sing in the shower. That's a breath practice, right? Mm. I practice belting out you know, lyrics mm. on the highway. Mm. These are breath, anything can be a breath practice if you make it mindful. So certain people are like me and they're like, breath is limitless, I need more. And then they find a way to make this part of their lives. Some people are like, this is profound. I would like more of this in my life. Once a month is a good, I would like to do this at least once a month, right? It's kind of like, you know, some people do therapy once a week. Some people, you know, this is, some people say, wow, I need to breathe at least once a week or once mm -hmm. a month. And some mm -hmm. people say, this was an interesting experience. I am never going to do it again, but I will always be grateful for it. Oh, wow. And 
there's no right or wrong way. Mm. Right. I've had people who say, yeah, breathwork. I did it once in the eighties. And I'm like, once in the eighties, that was like 40 years ago. And they're like, yeah, it was profound, man. It changed my life. And I'm like, one breathwork session 40 years ago, you're still talking about it. And that was enough for them. Now, I don't think that's enough for them. I think everybody should be breathing all day, every day. Right. Right. But you know, everyone is going to find their way into this. And you know, you, you're, you're a fan of intermittent fasting, right? Not I'm a fan. fan. I'm not a fan. I mean, I researched it. I'm. I'm right. I, it doesn't work for me. Oh, okay. No, no, not a fan. Neither. I mean, neither I does think, it work for me. I think there's a lot of um, wisdom in it. I'm not a. For me, it's not a. Fa- I'm not a fan. Right. It didn't work so, for me, but I think it works for many. Yeah, and for me, cookies work. Lots of cookies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, well, I'm kidding. I'm not eating as many cookies as I used to, but you know. It, it's, there's no right or wrong way. Are you, are you thriving? Are you doing well? Mm-hmm. So whatever breath practices, I think also just come back to the Moda'ani prayer. Mm-hmm. Are you waking up grateful? That's a good barometer of, are you in alignment? So people are like, what should I do next? And I'm like, whatever makes you grateful, whatever is going to bring your breath to a place where you're going to be feeling gratitude, because that's the breath practice that you need. And we don't all need the same thing. Mm. right? If you're an athlete, you need one kind of breath practice. If you're a meditator, you need a different kind. If you're a mother, you need, mm. you need an entire toolbox. Mm. Of and you know, something about motherhood, you said before we were talking about the political leanings and people spewing hate from that high tone and then hate from that low tone and how a lot of it is media manipulation, right? I realized that as parents, when we raise our voice, what are we doing? We are allowing our child 100%. to drag us to their frequency. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think the goal of parenting is never raise your voice. And not just because it's detrimental to the child. Okay. People think, you know, we shouldn't raise your voice to a child because it's going to hurt the child's feelings and it's going to destroy them psychologically. No, it's going to destroy you psychologically. When you raise your voice, your psyche is smashed. You learn how to keep your voice low and prosodic all the time. It's but not it's about your a, kids. Right. You can want it, but it's like a dream. It's right. A, it, it's it's a nice fantasy. It's not reality. Um, I'm saying, but there's more mindfulness. There's yeah. more control when you're like, okay, what just happened? Okay, so right. next time it's two seconds less or a less pitch or a quick return to self. Or maybe it's not a fantasy because... You're talking about this in terms of parenting, but I can bring you to a different place. I gave birth to my last child. He's my breathwork baby. He was born after a 10-year gap. And I did not know that I was in labor because labor is supposed to be painful. I didn't feel pain. I was breathing and humming and cooking for Shabbat the entire time. I did not know that I was in labor. At one point I told my husband, it was midwinter break. All the kids were upstairs, like they're home with me. And I told my husband, I was five days overdue mm. and I didn't know I was in labor mm. because, and you would think like, wouldn't, if you're five days overdue, wouldn't that be your first thought? Right. I told my husband, I'm feeling a little like down. I want to go lay down. I did not dream. I called the midwife. There was going to be a snowstorm. And I called her up and I said, I don't think I'm in labor. She's like, I actually think you are in labor. You're five days overdue. Right. And she's like, she's like, I can hear you breathing. Mm. I'm like, no, I'm not in labor. I'm really calm. You know, my, my body, I'm not feeling any pain. She's like, why don't we stay on the phone a little bit? And you let me know. 
when those contractions are coming. And I was humming and I was like, here's one, here's another. She's like, girl, your contractions are two minutes apart. That baby's coming. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, I'm not in labor. Mm -hmm. That baby was born in seven minutes. Wow. Seven minutes. Okay. No pain, no pain. And I'm not magical. I've had, this is my fourth child. I know that labors are supposed to have like, but I realized something it's doable. The breath is supernatural. Mm -hmm. And there, I'm not going to lie and say that there wasn't pain. There were short periods of pain. And I'll tell you when they were, they were not during contractions. There were one, I'll tell you, it's funny. It's a little embarrassing, but you know, breath is uh, not breath. Birth is primal. So I get, I had a home birth, so no medications, no nothing. And I was in a position that I wanted to be in. I was following Mm -hmm. my body. I was following my breath. Right. Right. So my breath had me be on my hands and knees. Right. That's that's how my body wanted. And I had this right. planned birth. Like I'm going to give birth in a tub. Right. And I spoke to my midwife and that came down to it. I was like, back off. I need to be on my hands and knees. Right. She's like, but Folly, didn't you want to be in the tub? I'm like, my body knows. My body knows. <laughs> you know? Right. This is this moment where you're in this very compromising position where you're on your hands and knees and your butt is in the air. Right. And my brain, my conscious mind said, said oh, this is so embarrassing. Every time my brain interrupted with that wow. thought, I hurt. That's wow. when it Wow. Wow. That Fascinating. Fascinating. Took me. My body knew what it wanted. Wow. My body had no shame. My brain wow. interrupted with shame. Wow. Boom. That's wow. pain. Wow. So I don't think it's a fantasy. I think we can live healthy lives. I think we can live pain-free lives. I can. I believe we can live emotionally resonant lives. I believe we can live lives. Without I don't think we can live, live pain-free lives. I don't think that's true. So it depends what life, kind of pain. Life is meant to feel, not to be so numb. Pain um, is many manageable when... or to be aware. I don't know if it's pain-free. So pain is usually when something needs our attention, right? So it's not pain-free. As in, oh, we're never going to need to give our bodies some attention. Mm. But the beauty of giving birth, right? And doing it in a way where I was connected to my breath, there you come out feeling like a warrior. You come mm. out recognizing that that, that contraction, mm-hmm. it was not, there was not useless pain. Mm-hmm. There's something happening. And if you're connected to your body and you're connected to your breath, every moment is valuable. Mm-hmm. Every sensation that, and instead of you thinking of it as pain, as I want distance from this, you're like, I want to breathe into this. Right. Pain is where there's a contraction. Mm. So whenever there's a contraction, you're like, I want expansion. Mm. Expansion is no pain. So right. you put breath, breath as an expander. Right. 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 So it's not pain free as in right. we will never have it's to. It's manageable and also meaningful pain. Yes. Because the yes. only way out of pain is through. So it's not avoiding it. It's knowing to navigate through it in the least harmful yeah. way maybe or the long the most vital way yeah or yeah maybe or the more impactful way the most impactful yeah. like the difference between suffering and torture and torture like right. one is induced and one is unknown like so like right so, like i believe that torture is induced by our not understanding how right or there's a difference between pain and suffering Right. Pain right. is necessary right. and right. suffering is choosing to sit in it. Right. Exactly. Right. So, so our not doing anything in order to go through is suffering. Yeah. Right? So I, I could see, I, 
I do believe in pain and I think we're here for pain. Like we have some pain, but it, it's not the pain that we, that our mind talks about. Right. right? It's not the like, enemy. Yeah. Right. Right. And, right. You know, when, when it comes to breath work, we talk a lot about Adam, you know, the first primordial man, right. And God breathed into the nostrils of Adam who we don't talk about is Chava, his wife, right? Eve. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about her, but she is very interesting when it comes to breath work, because what is not commonly known or spoken about is that her name initially in the garden was Chaya, mm -hmm. which means life, life right. force, right? right? Later, after they left the garden, her name was Chava. She mm -hmm. lost that life force. What was the sin, so to speak, that caused them to leave the garden? The sin of dat, of mm -hmm. knowing consciousness. What happened immediately after they knew they experienced shame? Shame, right. shame is the biggest disconnector from mm -hmm. our bodies. Mm -hmm. What was her curse? Pain having children. So think about it. They're in the garden. She had children in the garden. Her first children were born in the garden no pain mm -hmm. because she was life force itself. Mm -hmm. She was connected to breath. She had no mind to take her away from that. The minute they ate from the tree of knowledge and they developed consciousness, they started separating from their body. They had a brain. They had a mind that took them away from their knowing. The minute you have that, of course, you're going to feel pain because there's going to be a battle of wills. Who mm -hmm. do I listen to? My mind or my body? Right. Shame takes us away. I don't think that when God cursed Chava, that it was a curse. It wasn't a curse. I think God said, look, you did this to yourself. It's not I am cursing consequence. you. This is the natural consequence. If you want to be brain-based, right, right. you're going you're gonna to move away from your you body. You created this existence through your the way yeah. of living. Yeah. And so I think that breath, which gives us, in Hebrew we say chiyut, right? Which mm -hmm. is aliveness, which brings us back to Chaya, mm -hmm. who is the Eve of the garden. Right. We can become supernatural. We mm. can go back to being those beings of light mm. who don't experience pain, who don't need to raise their voice, who don't need to be blocking life from flowing through them. Mm -hmm. And so do I think I can get there? Do I think that we are going to get there? In I think this it lifetime? takes a lot of work and a lot of yeah. mindfulness and and if we had that time with the amount, yeah. with the amount that we have on our, I, I don't know, I even though in, in, in Egypt they gave birth six at a time, I don't know how they manage them. <laughs> because in Egypt, it, if you read the Pasuk, it says that when Pharaoh asked the midwives to kill the baby boys, they said, we cannot. And right. the language that they used were, they said, the Jewish women, kichayos hena, right. they are like animals. And what did they mean by that? That they were like Chava in the garden when her name was Chaya. They are giving birth like Chava when she was still Chaya. She was like animals. Right. They are only right. body-based. They have no pain. In right. Egypt, of course, they were able to do it. They were completely body-based. And by the way, Pharaoh did that to them. You know why? Because when you are tormented, your mind shuts down. You cannot think. Only your survival mode. You have to listen to the body. That's mm -hmm. the only thing you have. You become an expert in what your body is telling you because your body is like, survive, 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 survive. So the only thing you think about is what's next for my body. They were able to have babies like that, mm -hmm. right? And no, by the way, I'm saying that they 
It's not about the childbirth, but the, the amount we do in a lifetime. First of all, they didn't live that long. They did. In Egypt? They did, in Egypt, they didn't live till uh, nine... Moses' mother gave yeah. birth to him at 130. She had her first child, Miriam, at 124 years old. But I don't think that was the normal. I don't Maybe think she was lived one extended. Of the, yeah, I think that he was one of the 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 last ones that lived longer the longer. But also like people died from because of in child in childbirth or there was no survival like nowadays and the long But in the time of the Gemara in the time of Gemara, do you know that women's bodies were so attuned, they did not menstruate for two right, full years? Right, 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 100%. That's why the whole nida now is different. Yeah, 100%. we're so out of alignment. Yeah, we're out of alignment and also like the way, the pace of life and and what we, like our, what we do when a, a, a woman didn't do what we do, so, you know? So what we I don't realize bring is more mi- we don't bring enough mindfulness in order to be able to become that what I say a dream. It is a dream. We could technically if we lived in I'm okay if we don't get there in this lifetime. Mm. You know, it mm-hmm. says you don't right. have to finish the work. Right. 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 If my legacy can be change your breath one breath at a time, mm-hmm. then maybe in my children's time. We're going to be breathing different air. Amen. Right? Maybe Amen. in their time. Amen. And it's okay. We don't have to get this right right now. Right. But you know the power of doing a small breath practice. If you become mindful of your breathing for just a few minutes a day, your whole day will change. If you can multiply those days for the rest of your life, your whole life will change. Mm-hmm. If we can expand this consciousness, a lot more people's lives are going to change. Mm-hmm. And eventually we reach a critical mass and the world will change. And if the world will change, give it a couple of generations, we might find ourselves back in the garden. I'm down for that. <laughs> so Folly, how do people, if people want to um, experience your group breath work, where could they find you? you? You do them only in New York? I am based in New York. I have a website and you can reach me. We'll put it in the show notes, notes follycline.com. Yeah. I'm very excited about my website. It's new, uh, it's beautiful, and it speaks to my soul. And I, I do much more than just breath work, right? I teach courses online. I teach a Zoom course on self-development. I teach a Zoom course on intimacy and sexuality. I'm very much looking forward, now that my courses are online, I'm so much looking forward to creating new content. So right now I currently run breathwork groups kind of in like the tri-state area. I come down, people organize them. As long as a certain minimum is met, I'll come down and I'll breathe them. I do have to say that I'm a limited person. We only have so much energy and so much time. So for the past 18 months or so, I've kind of known that I'm phasing beyond this a little bit. Um, I'm shifting more into teaching. I teach facilitator trainings as well in hypnotherapy and breathwork. So when it comes a matter of gauging my time, right, I don't always have the kind of time. If you're going to ask me, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, right? If it's in five years from now, will I still be running breathwork groups with a regularity that I run them now? Probably not. I feel that one of the gifts that God has given me is that I find he, he guides me to find things. I delve into them. I wait until the world picks up on them and then I move beyond them. Right? So breath will always be the great love of my life, but I'm very young and I have a lot more life to live and there's more waiting for me. Mm. So if you're in the tri-state area, it's very likely that I'm running a breathwork group in your area, like once a month, 
You can reach out to me through my site. We can find out if there's something happening. But I do have to be honest that probably within the next year, those are going to be decreasing in frequency because there are more facilitators out there who are doing great work. I encourage people, go look up facilitators in your area and try them all. Don't get stuck mm -hmm. on one facilitator. Experiment. They're all different and they're all going to give you a different experience. And hopefully the next time I'm on this podcast, we'll be talking about something brand new. So excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. Wait, is this Heather's website? It is. Oh, the one and it only. It is Heather. the, I call one, her the and one and only. Whenever I send her something, I say, Heather, the one and only. <laughs> she is. And that I have to thank you time. because when I got to Heather, mm. she immediately knew me from you. Mm. because she, she edited to, she edited your yeah. episode so she was and it back was so funny day. I was so nervous about getting my website online because you know your website is like your home it's mm -hmm. your real estate on the internet mm -hmm. and it's like hiring a decorator like you want to make sure that they have your taste and they really yeah. know you and I was really convinced that nobody was going to get me mm -hmm. and finally like I took and I, I did I had some full starts with websites I finally called up a friend and I'm like who did your website and she's like the one and only mm -hmm. and it wasn't you that I called up it was another friend so she sent me to Heather I took a shot in the dark I sent to Heather but, I, I, but listen whoever came to Heather is through me because I was yes. her first find and then yes. she went to Elisheva and Elisheva gave it to her therapist yes. friend so I'm like yes. I'm, I'm like Heather I God God gifted you to me so I could gift you to the world. I always say that. <laughs> but when I reached out to Heather and I was so anxious about it, I was like, I hope you're the right person. She sent me a, an email back. She says, you know, Folly, I manifested you five years ago. I'm like, what? Or whatever it was. I don't remember how many years. She's like, yeah, I knew that one day you would be reaching out to me really? to build your... And I was like, what? She's did like, she, I, she did. She says, I met you on Matana's podcast and oh I edited it. And in my mind, I was, oh I, I decided I that when you're story. ready to do your website, you're coming wow. to me. She's like, she's like, so here you are. You're thinking that you're reaching wow. out to me. And she's like, I've known this day was coming. I've, oh I I magnetized God. you, not the other way around. Oh, my God. I love her so much. And how many years are we talking about you actually doing something? How many years am I saying, Folly, get the damn thing online? Just get it yeah. online. But it's Since time. you met it's, me. Since you met a, me. It's just a matter of time and, and being ready and whatever. So so now, yeah. so basically, you're real estate on, online. Everybody can find you and see what mm -hmm. you're up to. And that's yeah. going to be where you're going to hang and out. And there is a media tab where you could listen to all the podcast episodes I've ever done. Oh. So you're on there too. Okay, great, 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 great. Yeah. Well, thank you for educating me on breathwork. I know you've been saying that I need to go for to to like a workshop or we'll get you there. I wanted I wanted to understand what this buzzword that I keep on hearing and what am I missing out on and what are people really not understanding about the relationship? And you said it's the relationship. It's it's, it's the relationship. The relationship and and starting to notice our different frequencies of our breath, our different like just how we show up with our breath and different, as you said, it could be with the food. It can be with a, with what, with whistling. It could be with humming, you know, it could be with just breathing, holding our breath, screaming, like, you know, like all of that but is take breath. notice, just right. notice. Right. 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 And I, you know, when you said a minute ago, it's the relationship. I have to say this, every relationship in your life will be enhanced when you develop a relationship with your breath, remember five life forces, right. food, sex, money, breath, and God, you heal one, you heal them all, right? right? You're going to be, you're going to be a better spouse. You're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better friend when you can breathe better. So 
really like tap it's, into it's, it. It's, it's it's a win-win yeah and it's not expensive right it's just, it's really not expensive i mean you'll pay for a facilitator right but ultimately at the end of the day it's your breath right. so you're paying a facilitator for the experience you may pay a course for the teachings but once you've embodied them no they're yours for the rest of your life it's your breath it's yeah. your gift yeah Thank you, Folly, for your wisdom, always for your wisdom, for your insight, for your fascination of life, and for your time. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to hear what we're going to speak about next time. What will it be? Thank thyroid? You. Thyroid? Ooh, going, going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> maybe next time we'll talk about the myths and maybe the misunderstanding of a thyroid, with, especially with women. Yeah, right? women's health. Yeah, women's health and what Folly learned through her journey with her thyroid. And not so, having a thyroid. Yeah, and now not having yeah. a thyroid. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot to yeah. learn. Thank you for yeah. joining me here, Folly. All right, thank you so much. Bye till next time. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. In Mental Health Together is Better, you being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time. Looking to reduce your anxiety and stress, relax your muscles, or get a better night's sleep? Check out Maxifies.com, 100% legal hemp, where you can find doctor-formulated, lab-certified, high-quality CBD oils, tinctures, and other items, cultivated, grown, harvested, and packaged in the United States, and available in different sizes and strength formulas. Check out Maxifies.com, that's M-A-X-I-F-Y-Z.com, and use coupon code HOPE to get 10% off your order, plus free shipping. That's Maxifies.com.